it's amazing at the technology that they have now to 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 run you know certain podcasts sure. and, and I just have I have I have too many fucking wires, man. It's yeah. just this this mixer is good, but what I want to get is that you can so there's supposed to be one channel, two channel, and technically your audio and then my audio. So then I can go in and I can edit both audio by itself. Sure. Fortunately, we're actually on the same track. We're on the same audio. So if I edit mine, I'm going to be editing yours okay. as well. So when you like take stuff out of the background, it, it does it for both, huh? Yeah. So that's like that creates a little bit of a problem because you can try and do it on this, mm-hmm. but this mixer actually connects to the USB. Mm. And if you have a USB microphone that or a USB mixer, it registers it as one microphone, even though oh. there's two here because it's USB. There's a there's a there's all this audio stuff that goes into it and I'm just I had already spent the extra hundred dollars on it and I was like, yeah. well shit, I might as well just, you know, use this damn thing. So um so dude, we're live. I guess you could say are we alive? We're alive. Yeah. We are alive. Yeah, um, we're alive. I yeah. think, think so. Unless so, it's a simulation. It, well, depending on who you talk to, you know, with simulation theory nowadays. Um, so, dude, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about today, uh, about like our, our history. Sure. You know, uh, first off, do you want to, I don't know if you want to give your name. You don't have to for security reasons. I don't know how you feel about that or whatever. Um, I, I think it all depends on the end of the podcast and what I've said. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, hey, clip that out right there. Yeah. You know, um, no, I don't. I don't. My main goal here is to just—it's not to draw conclusions. You know, it's not yeah. to. It's not to. Uh, it's not to asphyxiate. Uh, you know, fixate on any specific narrative. It's just to tell a story. It's to tell um, our story because uh, I find that when I tell my story a little bit, sometimes I give small kind of snippets of it from time to time. People really resonate with that, you know, and they find um, a matter of themselves kind of like there's a a level of strength almost, it seems, in that, you know, in me um, being a public affairs specialist uh, with the military, uh, I never really brought up my marine history like i did you know i did and it was like oh hey you jarhead you know like crayon eating individual um but it was always kind of there was always an air of mystery around it because i i try not to tout it around um even before i came here uh i didn't i didn't sleep very well last night because i knew we were going to be doing this podcast Mm. um and the reason is, is because I get nervous when I talk to people like you. Oh God! Yeah, <laughs> no, I know, for that. I know. But the thing is, is that it's not, it's not you. It's that the reason being is, is that I have so much respect for people like yourself. You know, I have so much respect for anybody that goes as far as they do to, you know, do in defense of this nation or whatever choice they have that there was a a problem with my identity where I was almost, um, I was trying to connect with it in a way Mm -hmm. where at the same time there was so much connected to it that I don't, I don't tout it around. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't walk around and say like, look at me, you know, like, you know, the, the bro vet who's like, I'm a fucking Marine dude. Like you should respect me, you know? Um, 
and it became the memories connected with it. I wanted to almost distance myself from it because if I found that whatever it was I was thinking about, my story, you know, whatever you want to say, you know, what we're going to talk about, uh, it was just something I, I kind of had trouble with because in our, in our organization, it was always like, you know, you need to fucking cut, can't, you know, gotta be, gotta be strong, you know, can't, oh, he can't hack it or something like that, you know, and then when we carry that into, you know, whether that's civilian life or any other aspect of who we are, uh, that's what I, I would, I would get nervous talking to people like you because it's, you know, we, sometimes people will distance themselves far away from that community or people that necessarily like, you know, I, I don't want to like fucking, I don't think about you while I'm going to sleep at night, you know, but like the, 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 the people that I know or I've talked with just, you have these, these memories, these, these thoughts, you know, and you just, it just seems like sometimes you just kind of get away, you know, you just kind of, you're distancing yourself from that as time goes on. And then all of a sudden you're just like, you wake up one day and you're like, holy shit. Like I just turned, I just turned 30, you sure. know, I just turned 31. And, uh, so for people to, uh, really, you know, listen to this, these, these stories and these, uh, I don't really know. I don't really know what I'm trying to say, but I, I think, I think that it's important that we, we understand that, you know, I'm not trying to use your status to promote my own agenda. I'm not trying to do that at all. Um, it's just, I think that I don't want people to forget, you know, I don't want, sure. I don't want people to forget that the, the, the men and women that, you know, still wear the uniform or did wear the uniform or whatever. I just, I think for me to tell their story is the ultimate is, is, is my ultimate, uh, is my ultimate goal in life mm -hmm. is, is to, to, to tell that story, you know, their story through, you know, uh, narration or photography or anything, you know? So that was my, that was my soapbox thing. Um, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, dude? Sure. So I'm Jason Sidoriak. Um, I was born in Connecticut. Connecticut. A long time ago. Connecticut. Nutmegger. Yep, that's right. Uh, and straight out of high school, I joined the United States Marine Corps Infantry. Uh, was with 1-8, living down in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Lejeune. Yep, that's right. Um, deployed to Iraq twice, Afghanistan once. And did about, did exactly, actually, to the day, six years uh, in, in the Marine Corps. Yeah. Cool. And uh, I've been running around since, and now I'm in Boston, Massachusetts. <gasps> you just hit the microphone. How dare you? I'm just kidding. Big feet. <laughs> you know what they say about big feet. <laughs> um, so, dude, I want to ask you, um, using the template, I didn't actually formulate any questions for this. Sure, just because sure. I wanted to see, I wanted to see where this was going. So, just with the... The basic uh, timeline that I had give yesterday, you yeah, know, beginning and beginning, middle, end, right? So, when you were young, did you have any kind of ideas about the military? Like, did you have any family members as to why you wanted to join the Marines? Like, what what kind of drew you to to the Marines? You know, I, I never really pin 
pinpointed exactly what what really inspired me. I don't really have family that's in the military. I have some, but never once I don't think I've ever had a conversation with them about it. Um, it wasn't really their core identity. Uh, I remember one point when I was little, probably like 10 years old, uh, I, I was in my mother's car and a commercial for the Marines came on and I, I, I showed interest as like, I want to be a Marine one day. And she told me, you can never be a Marine. They carry a hundred pounds on their back. And as a kid, that's 10. I was like, Oh yeah, you're right. I can't do that. Um, that's something I remember back in the day, but honestly, what it came down to, um, throughout my, my younger life, I was starting to develop a, a need or desire to be a part of something bigger than myself. Uh, I grew up very poor and there just was nothing there for me. Um, and I wanted more purpose, uh, because I was around so much crap. I was around crime, I was around violence and, and stuff like that. And I just wanted to be a part of something almost like mystical. Like, mm. and a lot, and a lot of people go through it because when they, when they, their introduction to war is the band of brothers, right? Saving Private Ryan. It is this like mystical, um, uh, hyperbolic, romanticized, idea of being part of something mm. greater and that sounds pretty good compared to what what i was growing up in did you uh did you have any siblings you played like cowboys and indians or something like that at all as a kid yeah yeah i i had uh i have an older brother uh did a little bit of that um we would play like vietnam where we'd be <laughs> in the woods and we'd just take like like sticks like <laughs> like clubs yeah. That you break off of trees and we just chuck them at each other like they're like bullets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you just like dodge them and jump in the bushes. Did stuff like that. Yeah. Played mine, airsoft. Yeah, stuff, yeah. You know. Mine was uh, Super Soakers, which was my, one of my first That sounds less was, lethal than what yeah, I was I doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was it? Um, so you, you were a little bit kind of like preconditioned to kind of be drawn to the Marines because it was very much the same way with me. Yeah. Um, you know, my story's a little bit different. We, you know, New Hampshire's kind of like this sheltered area of, I wouldn't say sheltered, but I grew up in a small town, you know, and like, I remember when I was like three or four years old, you know, I was in Manchester, New Hampshire, and all of a sudden this, this like drug addict fucking almost kills me by driving up this car down the road. And my mom's like, all right, maybe we should like, uh, not live here, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so we moved to this place in, uh, called Goffstown, New Hampshire, and it was very, very small town. Um, it was a dirt road. Yeah. <laughs> we went and they, they built the house. And there was still to this day, they built the house, you know, whatever. It was a um, the contractor that built that. <laughs> the contractor that built that house cut so many corners <laughs> that we spent a lot of um, winters <laughs> very cold. Yeah, very, yeah. very, 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 yeah. very cold. Um, uh, so, you know, you mentioned that you didn't have any relatives sure. uh, that were really in the Marines. It was very much the same way with me. Um, what was the process you kind of went through when you were looking to join the Marines when you were in, when you were in high school, you know, like, was it, yeah. was it, uh, I'm going to ask like seven questions at once and then sure. you're going to answer one, um, <laughs> try to keep it short and sweet. Um, what kind of drew you to the Marines when you were about, you know, your teenage years, like 16, 17, what was your thought process, you know, when you were going through that? Well, for one, at, at the point where I was really 
starting to develop coming out of middle school, 9-11 happened. And then by the time um, my my senior year was was coming about, uh, we were having guys getting ready to go into Fallujah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wanted to be a part of that. Uh, and so I've... Can you take the microphone and just bring it a little bit closer to you? Yeah, just, yeah, just move that arm. There you go. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, Thanks, man. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's fine. Um, so I, I just really wanted to be a part of that action. And I, I've always looked at the Marines as the branch that I wanted to go into. But going into uh, leaving junior, going into senior year, uh, when I was going to the recruiters, I went to the Army because they had a program where you could do their boot camp the summer before your senior year. And I was like, that will get me into the action sooner. I knew I wanted to do infantry. Like, that's it. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I'm an idiot, right? That's, that's yeah, very, very similar um, with me, yeah. But then they told me, this isn't for the infantry. This is for other jobs. Mm-hmm. So you get boot camp done, and then you go, go into technical, your... Technical, technical, life, life, yeah, life right after. actually and uh, I was like, transferable skills type, yeah. type jobs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I was like, yeah. well, that's dumb. I want the infantry. Uh, and so I, I left their office and just went across the hall, went straight into the Marines, and it's like look, let's just start this process now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was a, a, a year's worth of, of hanging out with the, the recruiters and, and other poolies, they like to call them. Uh, I remember it got to the point where to actually choose what job you're going to do, going mm-hmm. into the, the Marines before you go into boot camp. And they're like, you have to give three just in case, you know, you're one and two. Can't Someone happen. else, yeah, something, something. They fill up, a, right? Like they can't fill a bunk or something. They can't, yeah, yeah they yeah. can't fill a, or like they lose slots for those, mm-hmm. you know, F-16 pilots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like, well, yeah. I just want to do infantry. He's like, I know they're not going to fill up, but you got to put other ones. And yeah. I was dumb enough to think that the Marines only did infantry. Yeah. It's yeah. like, what other jobs would I choose? Like, wait, 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 wait. There's more jobs? Well, that's, yeah. that was one of the misnomers that I had was that. When I went in, I had no idea that the Mar- like I, I thought I they never, just killed people. Dude, I never, I never even thought that the Marines was like a thing. I, I honestly like I knew that they existed, but I didn't know anything about them. Yeah. I thought it was just like streamlined. Like, hey, here's the six week course, and then you're going to be sent to Iraq. And I was yeah. like, oh, okay. From what I had seen in like movies, like yeah, you know, like you had said, like Band of Brothers, and but all everything growing up, I was always surrounded by the European. <clears throat> the European theater and it was just, yeah. it, it was largely more documented. Like I knew that the Pacific, the Pacific had gone on mm-hmm. and everything, but I never considered that the, the, the way that the Marines, like what their mission was or anything like that. Well, they also you know? make it so confusing that as a dumb high schooler, I thought they were like special forces too. Yeah. And I was like, well, I can't get yeah. into that. I have to get my, into that later. My first immediate thing was like, when I, I was, I talked to the army recruiter and uh, he came over to my house and, you know, the thing about me was my parents wanted to be involved in not, not so much like, Hey, we're going to alter your decision, but we just want to be informed at what you're doing. And we want to yeah. be sure that you know what you're doing because, you know, you went in in a time before me, mm-hmm. you know, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, but they, they were like, you know, do you want to do anything else? And I was like, no. Yeah. I was like, no, I just want to do infantry. And also, um, there was a guy that was also joining at the same time as me. His name was Philip Charty, mm-hmm. and he was an infantryman too. And he was like, we would talk at school from time to time, be like, what's up, dude? You know, like, <laughs> hey, man, what's up, yeah. bro? You know? Um, and 
you know, he would provide me like just kind of like feedback, you know, but he, same thing. He didn't know anything about, yeah. about going in. So, um, and, and your, this is during a time where they, you know, going into Fallujah. Yeah. They needed well, the bodies. Yeah. Well, they were seeing, taking anyone. Well, seeing, seeing all the, seeing all the stuff when I remember I was sitting in, in class cause I think I was a freshman or I was a sophomore and I was seeing all the things that were going on. Yeah. You know, and I think I, I remember when, when nine eleven happened, I was in seventh grade mm-hmm. you know, and, and I was in science class and one of my teachers comes in and he's like, Oh, he has a note in his hand. And then he just reads the note and then he just crumples it up and just throws it on the, throws it away. Hmm. And he's like, ah, the world trade center's on fire. Anyways, getting back to the lesson. Hmm. And I was like, I still remember that where I was like, you know, kind of just cast it aside for yeah. a second, you know, Hey, the world trade center, the, someone came into the, it was a, it was a student, one of the, yeah, the office students came in that works with the secretaries or whatever, came in and didn't want to cause mass hysteria. She comes yeah. in and she just says, you know, hey, the World Trade Center's on fire and uh, we're under attack. And it was about maybe nine, ten o'clock at that point. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think that that didn't really motivate me per se to join the military, but it definitely influenced my decision later sure. on. Um what did your family think about uh, you joining? Um, well, definitely with the infantry, they really didn't want me to go. But so, um, so I actually at that time, because I, I grew up in in some uh, you know unfortunate uh, beginnings. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, I was fortunate enough to be able to live with my aunt and uncle. So I was living with my aunt and uncle, and I think because maybe they weren't my um, you know, actual parents, although I consider them my parents, they probably didn't think they had as strong of a say, or they just knew I was stubborn, uh, which is true, um, to convince me otherwise. Most Marines Marines are. Yeah. 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 Um, So there wasn't too much pushback. I I mean, there was a few times where uh, they would show some disconnect. Well, my aunt more than my uncle. Mm. You know, my uncle was always supportive of my aunt. Um, She was just... I really, she would always just be like, you know, do whatever you want. Just yeah, don't get yourself a, killed. She, yeah. She's got a, she's got a very laid back approach to parenting, which is, or to providing some form of kind of like guidance to you, you know, because yeah. like, you, you know, you have, you have people that are, they, they never make their own decisions. It's provided for them their entire lives. Yeah. And then when they get older, it's almost as if they're mentally damaged because they've never, they've never understood how to, how to go through that process. They've never everything i don't want to say everything's been handed to them but you know um it's 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 a it's a balancing act of 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 sorts you know mm-hmm. when it comes to uh when it comes to like influencing whether you know it's our own kids decisions or someone else's decisions i yeah. I, I constantly think about that if i ever decide to have kids you know like i don't want them to experience extreme amounts of trauma but i want sure. them to yeah i want them to understand like struggle a little bit you know to make yeah. them a better a better individual and dude most of most of most of my really good friends i have have been through some of the crazy like they're the best they're the best people you know? no absolutely yeah. yeah yeah um so they they had some kind of like they had a very laid-back approach to your decision yeah and i think it's just knowing where i came from i'm extremely independent mm-hmm. um and they just knew that once I made a decision, 
I'd be hell bent on it. Yeah. So when did you make your decision? Like when was that? Was it? Um, it was certainly before senior year. Mm-hmm. I think the second I got into high school, I, mm-hmm. would, I had, had like I think my backpack had the Marine Corps emblem on it. <laughs> I remember it must have been like junior year, maybe even sophomore year. I had a hoodie that said USMC. And this one girl came up to me. He's like, what university is that? Mm-hmm. And then I told her it was the United States Marine Corps. And I remember to this day, uh, she asked, why do you want to die? Jesus <laughs> um, It's crazy Christ. times, man. 2003 it was. It was. to 2006. Well, it, was, it was. And you know, it's man, not like that's, going through high school now. Yeah. And I think that that's, dude, that's part of the reason why we need to tell these stories, man. They're just to know that there's people that I don't know how to even articulate it or where to start. Um, because you know, people, a lot of, a lot of people, when they ask me questions of like, you know, they, they look at you different. It seems like they want to understand your psychology or like your physiological makeup or something of like, all you have to say is that it's like, yeah, I'm in, I'm joining the Marines and the infantry. And then I remember a lot of the weird looks I received at school Mm -hmm. from like my teachers. And it was almost if like they treated me like nicer Yeah, because they're like, Oh, this guy's terminal. Like, Oh, he's going to die. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, it's like, well, yeah. What we're going to do is we're going to, what we're doing is, you know, we're going to be doing some, extremely dangerous stuff but same thing for me i wanted to do infantry i don't know why i i don't i mean i have reasons more for me it was i hated the environment i was in mm-hmm. i needed to get the fuck out of my town like yeah. i hated traditional education um i just didn't i just didn't i don't want to say i didn't fit in but i didn't per se um i had good good groups of friends from all walks of life mm-hmm. um but I was always kind of like just a, a person who was a wanderer in some sense. I didn't have any loyalty to, sure. you know, military service. Like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know I didn't want to join the Air Force at the time. Um, <laughs> that was one that was, I knew I wasn't going to join the Air Force, um, which is ironic because now I, you know, like, hey, maybe I should join the Air Force now, <laughs> you know, like transferable skills. Um, but I just needed to get, I needed to get away from where I was. And if the, Marines were going to provide that for me, uh, then that was what, you know, that was my decision. And I had spoken with the army guy beforehand, but then apparently like he had tried having sexual relations with some female recruit or something. So I was like, I I was immediately turned off to that. And I was like, this is how they're going to conduct themselves. And I didn't have any loyalty to any branch. Sure. Sure. I just, I went out one day and there was a recruiter. He's like, Hey, Want lunch? I was like, sure. How they catch it? It's kind of weird that you know, there's 17 years old, but he was a. I had seen him before around school, and I had walked through the library and I had talked to him, and he's like, "Hey, you want to go grab some lunch?" I was like, "Yeah, sure." So we just went fucking like right off school grounds, right across the street, and uh, grabbed some lunch. And he's like, "Oh, dude, I got you." He paid for my lunch. It's the first time anybody had ever done that in my life. Yeah. And uh, then I was like, okay, join the Marines, free lunch. It's like, all right, this is this is pretty cool. Um, but no, that was the first time that anybody had ever paid. Like, yeah. I mean, obviously like growing up, like my parents did, you know, and stuff like that, but sure. someone out of the immediate vicinity yeah. being 18 years old, it was someone that just was like out of the blue was like, Hey man, I'll pay for your lunch. And I was like, so taken back by that just because I had, 
I think I was very, I was just, I was, I had a very negative outlook on myself, you know, and, uh, maybe a part of me knew that the dangers of what we do Mm -hmm. is there. And it's, it's almost kind of like drawing us in, in some way, you know, both like psychologically, but also the environment we, it's like we're preconditioned for it and we accept it. And we have this different distinctive relationship with how we perceive the other side of like death or whatever you want to say. You know, it's like we're not, we're not trying to commit suicide through war, but there's that intricate balance in relationship I've found with certain types of guys where mm-hmm. <clears throat> I've talked to some of the National Guard guys and, you know, they know that I was prior infantry and mm-hmm. I, I, I try to uh, decipher their decisions because I see the younger version of myself in them. Sure. You know, and so I walk up to him and I say, hey, you know, why do you, uh, hey guys, like, how's it going? You know, I don't just walk up to him. Hey man, why'd you join the, like, you know, you, yeah. you, you warm up, you warm up to it a little bit. And when you have your downtime, you know, you, you, you talk to them and you ask them, you say, hey man, like, why did you, you know, why'd you join the infantry? And he's like, dude, I don't know. He's like, I really legitimately don't know. Hmm. He's like, but I fucking love what I do. <laughs> and I'm like, I can accept that. So, um, so you decided to join the Marines when you were 16, 17, 18, you had your emblem on the bag, your, yeah. your, uh, your, Idiot. your, um, hair short. Uh, what was your initial, um, entry going into boot camp? What would you, what was your mentality? Um, it's kind of well, like, I mean, yeah, it's, like, a, little, it's a little scary. Everyone is yeah. a little scared shitless. I remember, so when you get off the bus, they put you in uh, this room where they start like giving you every everyone's like in front of this bin and they're giving your gear that you're gonna have for the, your time there. Um, and uh, I remember going in. Someone told me I think it was one of my friends that went in before me. Like they, when you do attention, don't lock your your knees. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm like all right, cool. Oh yeah. Um, so you're standing in attention while you're getting your gear. And this one kid, one we've already been like, introduced to the drill instructors, and they're just screaming there's one kid next to me locks his knees and i swear to god as he's fainting and falling in midair there's three drill instructors knife handing him in the face screaming like you're a little piece of crap why are you yeah, falling yeah, yeah. They like do their, he, they do their and thing. he slams his head against the wall and like that's when i realized i was in this shit and now in hindsight i'm like boot camp is such a joke dude it is it is there's a lot of people that walk away and they're like yeah, that was it. That's that was like the that high point. That's what defines the Marine Corps. But someone, you know, it's you not, know, we've gone through not, war. Like, man, not. that's a joke. Even SOI is harder than that Dude, crap. It, the thing is, is that it was funny. Was that like boot camp? You know, people. I never talk about it because it didn't really impact my life at all. Like yeah. it was just like it was just a check in the box for me. You know, yeah. like it didn't. Uh, everybody's like, oh, dude, what's what's boot camp like? I'm like, oh fuck, like I have to remember. I'm like. I was fucking, I think, well, what's the hardest part? I was like, honestly, I was like, probably the, the swim week. I was like, that was, you have to tread water for four minutes. I was like, that was pretty hard. And then they're like, what about everything else? I was like, I fucked up a lot. <laughs> I was like, but I don't really, uh, I was like, I don't really remember. It was super easy compared yeah. to, compared to everything else that we did. And when I first showed up there, <laughs> I remember, uh, I got on the bus, you know, and there was all these guys that. We were all um, kind of from the same area. So all, mm-hmm. a lot of the guys that I had left with were from my same town. We're all going to be in the same platoon. And uh, 
this black supply guy, you know, it's like every supply guy in the Marines is black for some reason. <laughs> and, um, I know everybody, someone's going to say I'm a racist or whatever, but, um, he comes up and we're, like you said, we got the bins and he raises his hand he, or he doesn't raise his hand. He tells us to raise our hand. He says, Hey, how many of you were O threes? So I'm O O three contract or whatever. And so this was an, uh, an initial phase. Yeah. And I go in and, and I raise my hand and like maybe three or four other guys raise their hand out of like 70 of us that were there. And he goes, you all a bunch of dumb motherfuckers. He's like, get over here. And he just starts, he just starts hazing us just because we decided to go infantry. I guess that a, an infantryman fucked his girlfriend or something. I don't know. But he, he, he pulled us out and singled us out. And that was when I realized that I was like, I'm being punished for something I wanted to, something, a job I chose. I was like, why aren't you punishing anybody well, else? You know? It's probably your, your well, maybe not your first introduction, but that was, you've been enlightened that yeah. the Marine Corps isn't perfect and there's a lot of a-holes in it. Yeah, and so this guy was some fucking corporal or lance corporal or whatever, and that was the first time I realized, I was like, what the fuck? I was like, why is this, Yeah. who the fuck is this? Why the fuck is this guy, he's yeah. a supply guy, like, you know, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. And I started, that's when I started, that's where it started with like my resentment towards other um, other jobs, yeah, yeah, you know, and that was like the fr- literally like the first day we're getting our fucking stuff taken, and this guy already singles us out and just starts hazing infantry guys just because he he I don't know maybe he he he's fucking angry that someone else you know is in charge of him that was infantryman or whatever, but that was the first moment when I started having a lot of animosity towards like just other jobs. Now I'm not I'm not I I don't now we're gonna go through that. I don't now, but that was kind of like yeah. my introductory yeah. type thing where I mean I it's like, a culture shock. You're, yeah. you're literally developing a new understanding of how the world works. I thought every because the thing is is that I thought everybody was the same. I didn't realize that there was this big that there's a huge divide, a whether huge it's divide. grunt, pogue, yeah. or even between the other jobs, or then you have NCO, non NCO. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's you it's literally you you're creating a new understanding of reality it's a it's a new yeah. it's a new it's an entirely different culture yeah. and it's happening all at once it's not yeah. like other areas of life uh in the civilian world where yeah there are different cultures that you have to figure out uh but you you're, can do you're, that on your own time but you're right? immersing this, yourself you're immersed in this. right away yeah. yeah you're immersing you're immersing yourself in this right away where when i'm actually writing about this subject in um I'm writing about this subject right now where I talk about the process of immersion mm-hmm. and how, why I find Marines are actually like, you know, you can have someone that shows up so stupid, like has very little knowledge, but then they join the Marines and then all of a sudden you see that they actually start to get smarter. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to articulate the process, but I think it's the process of immersion because oh, sure. they, because you, they'll get called out on their mistakes and then they won't reiterate those mistakes along the same parameters of why they were fucking up originally. And so then it, I, I think that it enforces certain people, or not enforces, but forces people to not make the same mistake. So then that carries into other avenues of their life. Now, you know, are they still going to be dirty? Are they still going to leave their towels on the floor and things like that? Yeah, yeah probably. But I've, I've seen and witnessed really stupid people actually kind of get smarter when they're around people that call them out. 
sure. when people yell at them, people do these things because like one of the things that is very, um, is very abundant in our society now is that, you know, people don't surround themselves with someone that is going to completely disagree with them. I don't, if you, if you believe in one, let's say you believe in X, I believe in Y, mm-hmm. I still have to perform the task regardless of whether yeah. I like you or not. So it's like, hey man, you believe in X, you be- I believe in Y. Okay, cool, that's great. Hey dude, this is what we need to do, you know. Yeah. And so people, there, the, this discourse happens where people don't, you know. It's it's a it's a very narrow, selective focus that they they worldview that they have. Sure. You know. Well, you know, I I think going back to what helps people learn quickly or at all in the Marines, one thing I think at least in the infantry that does very well um is helping that person understand the consequences mm. of that action really helps them reinforces why they should learn it and motivates them there's a lot of motivation at play and not that like motive motive motivation but yeah. like there's at a- least as a senior marine i was constantly telling you know my marines I know cleaning your gun seems really dumb, but when you're in the shit, you're going to appreciate mm-hmm. why Absolutely. you've learned how to clean your weapon, why you've learned how to disassemble it. It isn't just like, hey, guys, it's just something we have to do. Yeah. Like Everything has a reason. And if it doesn't seem to have a reason right away, as a guy in the infantry, I'm just going to say because it's life and death and yeah. your guys depend on you. And dude, I find that there's a, there's a big response you have with people when you just take the five seconds to explain it to them. Yeah, and just kind of like reinforce it because, dude, you know, when we're when we're constantly on the move, everybody's fatigued, everybody's tired, cold, wet, hungry. There's all these other things that you're thinking about that are that are attacking you from the outside. Yeah, that it's so easy for you to forget just one simple thing. You know, this like you said, yeah, this is life and death. You know, and you know that was um, something that when I was going through boot camp was like one of the first things when it was like, whoa, this is. This is actually, this is, oh, oh, wow, this is fucking actually real. Wow, this guy's actually really yelling at me, you yeah. know? And um, some guys, they can't, they can't mold themselves to kind of deal with that, you know? And it's not to say, I'm not trying to say that, you know, like, oh, we're better than that. But some, some people just are more, they're more streamlined for that kind of life, you know, than other, other, other people are. And I don't, I don't know, um, I don't know where I was going with this. Well, no, I, I get what you're <laughs> saying. I mean, I, I do think that there is this, uh, nothing against civilians, but those who do join, whether it's even law enforcement, but particularly the military, uh, or, or anything that involves the potential sacrifice of your life, um, those who resonate with that, they're, I think they're better for their jobs in the military um, because they they just need that motivation and that sense of purpose in life. Mm. And you can sit down a troubled kid in high school and tell him, look, you got to get your act together. You have to focus. You have to get your grades um, up so you can get a job and you can make money. That person isn't going to give a crap because he knows that life is unfair. He probably has grown up under circumstances that has been incredibly unfair and is reinforced that you have to be lucky and you even get by. But 
if you give him the motivation that now people actually do depend on him and that people might die um, if if he doesn't get his act together, um, he, he can see that is a real thing. He can see that the, the de- there's nothing about being uh, lucky or things being unfair towards him. He actually has an action that he can conduct and help those people out. I think there's just a, there's a group of people out there in the world that they only respond to those motivations. Um, and sometimes that, stimu- that sort of like that stimulus that drives, you know, that, yeah. that draws them in to that, yeah. to that. For they some don't care reason. if like, they're going to make money going yeah. out of high school. They want no. to be a part of something bigger than themselves that involves other people. And, you know, for me, that was one of the most defining portions of, uh, when I was walking through the airport, uh, for some reason or one another, there was a bunch of army guys that had shipped out with us at the same time. And one of the things that I noticed about all the Marines versus the army guys, and, you know, I don't try to isolate myself from other people. You know, every, I think that in order to serve your country, it's like what John F. Kennedy once said, you know, not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Mm-hmm. You know, like people ask me, Hey, you know, how can I, how, how do I serve my country? It's like, well, dude, you just be a good person. You just be a decent, honest, you just be a decent, honest person. It's like, that's it. You know, the doctor that saves my life when I, you know, uh, I have a fucking, you know, I have a bumper to bumper issue or something like that, or I scrape the side of a curb or something, you know, yeah. and my car gets, um, I don't know, someone rear ends me or something, you know, that doctor's doing public service, mm-hmm. you know, in the circulation of money that the stockbroker does to make New York City, the currency keep flowing and all these, all these small things that people do, you know, they feel so insignificant in regard to what it is. And, you know, you can get the same thing that the Marine Corps will give you in any, any avenue of life. It's just that they, they were drawn to something else. Yeah. You know, um, I remember when I was walking through the airport, all these army guys had these duffel bags and I was found it ironic that looking at the metaphor, the metaphorical context of something, you know, cause I was always drawn to literature and reading when I was, when I was younger and I would always like to process, um, like the human condition. And I found it so interesting that none of these guys had a bag on, none of them had anything. They had about my one buddy's like, dude, I got like $10 in my pocket. You want to go to this vending machine to get a Snickers bar or something? That was all they had. They mm-hmm. had absolutely nothing. And so the defining moment for me was when I could see that the Marine Corps tells someone to show up with nothing. And then someone starts with nothing yeah. at all. And then they build them back. They, they build them up and then they, they come from something. From, they, they come from something. Sure with nothing. Yeah. And these two contrasting viewpoints. You know, I always found I always found that somewhat fascinating to see all these um there was this one kid who was very troubled when I was in boot camp and uh I, one of my drill instructors was a fucking asshole to him. And um he had problems with authority. Not so much like not so much like I tell you what to do. It was just he was struggling with people in his vicinity mm-hmm. and he always tried to make him quit, kind of like, fucking quit, bitch. You yeah, know? Yeah. And this one African-American drill instructor and then this African-American kid. And when we graduated and he got his EGA, that he had been recycled like four or five times. No. And so he says to him, he's like, you know why I was so hard on you, young? And he goes, 
He's like, why is that, sir? He's like, I'm fucking staff sergeant now. He's like, he's like, because I'm you. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm you. Yeah. You know, and so he he's like, I, he's like, I had more chances to drop you this fucking this in this platoon. I had guys advising me, telling me to fucking drop you, mm-hmm. and I told them no. Yeah. And he's like, congratulations. And then he hands him his EGA, and then he's like, that was it. And then yeah. he just, you know, they go off and wherever they're gonna go sure. off. But that was kind of like one of the things I always found very interesting. Yeah, I, that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about the Marine Corps is. Uh, it's almost like you can go through different, many cycles of life. Um, you know, you're, you're the young guy, but eventually you grow to be the older guy. Um, at least in the infantry, then you start getting young guys beneath you, and you start seeing yourself and other people. And I, I it's kind of like having kids. Yeah, it's kind of in like, a weird way. Yeah. So um, to um, <clears throat> to iterate the how the process works. <clears throat> excuse me. To iterate how the process works for some people, um, the way that the the Marine Corps infantry works is that we'll graduate boot camp, which is 13 weeks. And then once we graduate boot camp, we go to what they call school of infantry. And do you want to talk to people what the school of infantry is, uh, what school of infantry is like? I mean, school of infantry, <laughs> literally, it's just a school that t- t- <laughs> teaches you so, how to be infantry, yeah, which to a, me, a, in the beginning week. of it, yeah, it's yeah, like it's, eight it's, weeks. It's like eight or ten weeks. Camp Geiger. Yeah. Uh, to me, I thought it was kind of redundant coming out of boot camp, but eventually it got a little bit more specialized. Um, I do think it's tougher than the boot camp uh, because yeah. I, I, they have higher expectations they of do. guys that are just going to be on the front lines, right? Yeah, because um, uh, because the senior drill instructor, the way the roles work in boot camp is that you have the kill hat, yeah, you have yeah. the drill hat, you have these guys, these specializations for these guys and what they do. And then when it... You know, your senior drill instructor is supposed to be the one like mom, the one that like kind of takes care of you yeah. and is like, oh, hey, you're going to get eight hours of sleep tonight or whatever. And um, that's what I witnessed that firsthand, you know, all the time whenever we would get pitted. Pitted mm-hmm. is what they call it when you go and you get, you know, phys- physical remediation. Um, it was only because my senior drill instructor wanted to win the PT the yeah. PT award. So he found, he, that, yeah, yeah. He, found, he found every excuse to just like pit us and also like the miami he was a miami miami dolphins fan yeah had a really bad year in 07 apparently or 08 <laughs> yeah found ourselves every morning at 5 a.m you know fucking getting out there you know 4 4 30 a.m outside in our you know in the winter fucking in the sand pit you know it's like oh it's you're shaving your face whatever it's like oh i've got sand all over my face hang on real yeah. quick you know and uh so that was the role when you get to soi it's not like that at all you know there's no person there to save you you're just like that was that was one of the scariest part your instructors me. are infantry guys yeah they are In infantry camp, guys they're just could be whoever. they could be fucking whatever so you got this guy that's like yeah a fucking member of the band you know talking about I had a supply guy ta- that yeah. kept on talking about combat combat and um like you need to do this or you're gonna die and he was yeah. like talking about what it's like to be over in a war and then at the end of boot camp uh, I, I think everyone does this but you have like a heart-to-heart chat yeah with your drill instructors and you find out who they are and this guy's never deployed. He's like a, a staff sergeant. But that's getting, getting back to that touting thing. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like there's a humbleness that comes with kind of the way in which you define yourself. Yeah. And like, I think that people will lose a large amount of respect for you if you, like, they, they almost expect, yeah. they almost expect, they, it's like they, there's this, un, this unwritten sure. expectation of kind of like 
that if you're a leader, you know, you need to, you need to not, yeah. you need to be a little I mean, bit more humble, you know, you might um, want to try to motivate people yes. at boot camp in that way. Yeah. I don't think he's saying that in his, in his other life. Uh, yeah. But it, you definitely feel the contrast going into SOI when you're like, yeah. these are your actual these grizzly are actual grunts um, that guys. give zero Fs. And you, I mean, they're what I became. Yeah. Right? They're, they're where, like anyone in the infantry becomes when they've just seen the shit and they they're, they have wisdom. Um, and you see that they're dealing with the, the bullshit of the Marine Corps uh, and how things have to be ran. But you know that... They know there's a better way. Yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah, and, and, and it's and, your first glimpse of that. And that, it, uh, even talking to some of those instructors too, you know, they're like, I remember um, one of the guys was actually in one eight. His name was Sergeant Baguero, and oh, he's yeah. actually in a book. Yeah, Sergeant Baguero. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, you know, I'm actually gonna write about him in a book. He was a, but he was actually a very good. Um, he was a tough fucking son of a bitch, man. Yeah, you know, he was a tough son of a bitch oh yeah and there was a reason for it you know, because he was in he he understood what it was like over there mm-hmm. you know and i think the problem is is that when it comes to when it comes to war you know i've spent a lot of time with myself with this is that like it it makes sense but it doesn't make sense at the same time it makes sense why they're so hard on you because that's kind of like what you need in order to like invigorating that muscle memory and however you want to call it. Um, but when I showed up to SOI, I remember, you know, <laughs> he, he started yelling at it. Like he just, he was like, he had this, you know, he had that, I don't know if he was, uh, he was his, I think he was Hispanic. Yeah. He was Hispanic and he had, I don't know if he was from Puerto Rico. I think I he might've been Puerto Rico. He might, he might've, he might've been, I don't know. Um, but I remember, you know, yelling in a different language at some, at someone that had fucked up. And I was like, I was like, holy shit. And then he comes over and then he's like, what's up? And I'm like, what the f-? Like, yeah. it just flips a switch like that. Mm-hmm. And I find that most guys flip that switch that fast because that's how it is in, 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 you know, oh, absolutely. when you're actually in a situation that calls for it to be, to be your, your, your focus is, is your focus is on this and there's all these other things going on. You know, and your focus is on this. Yeah. You know, and um, so we we try to instill that. You know, and when we first when I first arrived at SOI in '08, all of my instructors were Fallujah veterans, every single one of them. They were fucking crazy, man. But they had a reason to be. They had a reason to yeah. be because um, they understood the reality of what they went through. You know, and even trying to make sense after the fact of what they went through. Maybe that's why we're having this conversation is to try to like, not, I don't want to like pick apart everything that, that took place in war. Um, but if, if someone from the outside looking in sees the way that kind of like we're being treated, they, they might disagree with it in a way, you know? Sure. What's your, what's your kind of, uh, take on all all that. Are we talking about hazing? <laughs> well, j- yes, yes, I mean, yes. But the thing is, in my opinion, the hazing has become less of a problem in the sense that I was hoping I was. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to like beat around the bush. It's like no, you're going to no, get treated no, a certain what? way. Yeah. Well, and I'm not saying this in, in a way that like, oh, Marine Corps is getting weaker. Oh, yeah. you know, 
Moms Against America, whatever. I, a, I think a, I think the Marine Corps is doing a better job, mm. and the culture is doing a better job of rooting out hazing. Mm. Uh, do I think that there needs to be? I think there's a difference between some intense discipline and hazing. Hazing is essentially like assault. Yeah. Um, there are ways to uh, discipline a person using like PT. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I think is appropriate. But certainly my senior guys who are the Fallujah vets and the people who have come before them have been hazed significantly more. Uh, and I've been hazed significantly more than people who came after me, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Um, and I think that's for for good. Yeah. Um, but it gets back to like what you were saying. It's like you get kids now and it's like this happened to me. But then you see the kind of the way like generations work in the, in the Marine Corps and how it kind of evolves. Yeah. You know, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that, that's, that's fine. Um, but yeah, so someone looking, even if someone looked at how we were treated and we're not being hazed, they'd be like, oh my God, what are you doing to these poor kids? Um, whatever. Like, yeah, that's, that, that's our business. Um, that was that was one thing I always um like you said there's a difference between there's a there's a large difference between let's let's use two examples like Andy Stumpf is one of I, I love listening to him dude because sure. the way he the way he breaks it down is that it's like oh buds cool you graduated buds six yeah. months and I remember I was talking to Eli about this a long time ago I was like how the fuck. <laughs> Do those guys do that shit sure. for five days? And he's like, Josh, they're fucking animals. <laughs> it's like, they're fucking animals. It's like, how the hell can they do that? But most of those guys, that was their world. That was what they were used to, you know? And so when they graduate, buds, it's like six months of, you know, intense physical hazing that is highlighted in literature and documentaries and all this kind of stuff. And we're okay with that. Mm-hmm. But then the moment, as soon as we do this as the Marines, kind of like our own way, People are like, oh, you can't do that. And it was it was kind of like I always, I always thought of it as kind of like a weird double standard, it seems, in regard to how we try to, again, reiterate mistakes. And this is why these this is, we don't want, because you're dealing with people's lives here. You know, we don't want people to get hurt or worse, killed, you know. And then, yeah. like, that's why I have problems with, with leadership sometimes. Is because, like, if I have to tell a guy to go left or right... You know, dude, I don't know if I'd be able to live with myself with that. You know, but that's the burden of leadership that that happens, mm-hmm. you know. And like from the outside looking in, people don't think of it. They, they don't they don't perceive that. Sure. They don't see that. And, you know, when uh, Andy Stump was, you know, talking about there's a there's a fine line. Yeah. When we were in one eight, there was an incident that had happened. Where were you there? Were you there for that? Um, you have to remind me. I've, I've seen was, a lot of bad stuff. Yeah, which. there was a there was an incident where a group of Marines decided to jump in this guy's room and just beat the living piss out of him. That's not that's not remi- that, that's that's dumb. Soul. That's dumb. That they they like broke his window hmm. and they ended up going in and just beat I don't the living. Know if I yeah, that was that was. It was Alpha Company that did that. Of course, it was, yeah, it was God damn it, Alpha Company. Um, Alpha, they, they was, and it was a huge incident because their platoon sergeant said under under the NC, NCIS came in, and you know you can go online and probably find all the all the you know the case for it. But platoon sergeant, I think like eight Marines got in trouble. It says, hey, fix this, fix this kid. 
so an infantry company is a very well oiled machine. Yeah. You know, you can't, you don't have, you have very little amount of time to devote to training, to devote to, you know, all sorts of things. And the platoon sergeant was like, Hey, fix this, fix this kid. And then they all just went into his room, broke his window, unlocked his door and just beat the, beat him like half to death. And that's, that's, that's what they thought they meant by fixing. So, you know? and I, I'd be curious. I mean, someone should, should write about this because I just wonder where was the disconnect in leadership, and I also wonder um, when you have people trained at such a level of intensity to go to war, and you have had people actually go to war and utilize that training, um, see the repercussions of when training fails or when it's you know. It doesn't matter if it, it like was the risk, enough. The amount of risk management we yeah. put into things to make sure that people do yeah. come back home, you know. But then have that level of intensity have to function in a garrison world, which mm. is, you know, for people listening. I mean, what the gonna, garrison gonna, is. Yeah, we're going to backtrack here in people, a second. But, yeah. How the military functions in a world of peace, and I put that in quotation marks. Um, so a, 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 a slower tempo. Um there is a disconnect in how you should operate. There's a disconnect on how you should be a leader, how you should handle situations like that. And I'm not saying like, okay, if we are at constant conflict and, and people are actually going to war, um, then yeah, you should break into someone's room and beat the shit out of them. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is um, that there, there's just a disconnect in, in how they're being trained to be leaders. Can I, can I give you an example? Yeah, yeah. So when I was new, I, was, I, was, I had no idea what I was doing because I was young and I had joined at 18 and I had a very narrow worldview. Yeah. I didn't have very many experiences and I was, I was, uh, I wouldn't say sheltered as a kid, but I came, I didn't, I didn't, we didn't have any money. We didn't, mm-hmm. we never went anywhere. Mm-hmm. So took me a while to get used to being in the infantry because it was an entirely different world than what I had thought it was going to be like. And a certain individual who I won't name was my squad leader. And my, uh, one of my team leaders was also, he was very relaxed on me. Um, but when I would mess up, you know, like I remember we were, (laughs) don't judge me. Don't (laughs) Don't judge me for this. All right. Well, Depending on whose whose point of observation you ask, right? So we're running, we're in Camp Lejeune, Mount Town, right? And mm. we are running a we are running a, a lane, a training lane, yeah. the the urban and, training course. Yeah, the urban training course, and we're supposed to assault this building. And I had my radio on, and at the time I wasn't physically I wasn't physically fit of where I should be because mm-hmm. I had I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't know basic human physiology on how to get stronger i had no understanding of it at all like very basic superficial no one had actually ever sat me down and said this is how you move your body to make your bite this is your bicep this is your tricep to make your body stronger all sorts of stuff and um so we start the lane and uh one of the guys that was the um Op four takes a rocket, mm. uh, a notional rocket, yeah. <laughs> directly to the chest, and his shirt starts catching on fire. And I was like, "What the fuck is going on?" Huh. And uh, so they start assaulting the building. But we want to flank, or for whatever reason, we 
I don't want to say for whatever reason, but the decision was made that, hey, we're going to jump this wall. Yeah. I had that fucking 119 Bravo on and the the, the MTV that we I had. I think I remember this. And all sorts of shit. And I was like, holy fuck. I was like, God damn it. So I tried <laughs> jumping over that wall and uh, it just... <laughs> yeah, I think I remember this. Yeah, I think I think you do. And uh, it didn't happen at all. So <laughs> as I jumped... <laughs> so I, hand, I looked behind me and there's no one there. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. It's like, where did everyone go? And um, <laughs> I hear I hear the squad leader on the other side of the wall. Get the fuck over here, Bo And I was like, "Oh shit!" I was like, "I'm gonna get fucked up for this." And uh, <laughs> so I end up uh, taking my radio, and I didn't care. I throw it over the wall. And um, same thing with the with the stuff I had. I just I look behind me. I didn't know where everyone went. I just posted security, and then everybody else was over the other side of the wall. So. Tried jumping on the other side of the wall, but my my rifle got stuck on the wall, and it, the clip that was stuck into my one point sling snapped mm-hmm. off, and it landed back on the other side of the wall. Oh. So I jumped down, and I looked down, and I'm at, I see my hands, and I'm like, "Oh fuck!" I was like, "What was it?" Um, one of the instructors goes, "Where the fuck is your rifle?" And I was like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> Still on the other side of the wall. Um, one of the biggest things in the Marines that they enforce is to always make sure where your rifle is. Yeah. And um, so that is an example from my own personal experience. That's a mistake that had happened, right? Ba- now, being a new guy, I can't, I can't, I don't have merit based on my opinion. So I couldn't express what I wanted to say because well, again, they don't want excuses anyway. Well, yeah, they don't want excuses. Are, right? So I just was like, well, fuck, this is going to suck. And so what they did was, they remediated me afterwards because mm-hmm. they realized that I had fucked up. And maybe they realized that they had fucked up too, but they're not going to say that because leaders don't do that. They don't, they don't admit their shortcomings in front of the junior, in front of junior yeah. guys. Cause then you start questioning yeah. your leadership, you know? And so I had to do, I had to do pushups. I had to do sit-ups. I had to do extra watch that night because I had fucked up and it's reiterating those mistakes that you had done in order to, yeah. you know, to, kind of like make sure that this isn't going to happen again. Like, Hey, what can, what can we, what can we do? What can, what can we do to sacrifice or what can we do to make this guy make him a better Marine or whatever? So or instilled that that's a mistake and like no matter what, never do it again. Yeah. But so I I might be able to put my thought a little bit better than what I was saying earlier on, on the assault slash hazing incident. Um, and maybe people are not going to agree with me. Inherently, the, the military, especially infantry, anyone that has to go to war, it is a hyper-masculine ordeal, hmm. right? It is training people to be violent, aggressive, and to kill people. And you're constantly um, hitting that tempo. And we are now getting into a conflict, or we have since been, that is very complicated, and you're no longer, you can go through an entire employment and not apply those trainings. And that is confusing for a lot of these young kids. Mm-hmm. They have been trained to see that the solution to a problem is this hyper-masculine, aggressive, and violent way to go about it. And when you don't have an outlet to apply that, then you start breaking into people's rooms and beating the shit out of them. Mm-hmm. And I think you probably 
there might have been an increase in those types of hazing since the drawdowns, the, and that's in quotations, of the wars. Um, and even for me, when I went in, even for my first deployment, where we didn't see, like, there was danger, there was combat, but it wasn't your traditional sense of combat. Hmm. And it was very frustrating. And honestly... Well, dude, for, it's confusing. It's so confusing, it's too. Very confusing. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot to digest in your head on what you have to and do. And they don't train you emotionally how to deal with being this killer. I mean, that's what you are. You are a professional there's no, killer. Well, there's, there's no way around it. Yeah. I mean, you think about it. Like, what's the purpose of a tank? Yeah. You know, what's the purpose of a tank? Someone it's, says, oh, it's there to deliver supplies. It's like, no. <laughs> It's my what's ride. The, what's, yeah. What, yeah, what's the purpose of a tank? It's to kill people. Yeah. That's literally that's literally what it's there for. You know? Yeah. The purpose of a tank is to kill people. It's it's yeah. and you know to you know dis- provide some like anecdote in that, you know, yeah, we have to whether people agree with it or not, we have to yeah. do what we need to do in order to adhere to our expectation, make sure that someone's ready because we want them to come back. You know, we want them to come back home and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of blowback you might like from the outside looking in um, of like the way that people are, are treated in, in, in like you said that hyper masculine environment. Yeah. It's like we don't have time to deal with X Y Z. We don't have time. It's like this this is the mission and this is what we have to focus on right now. And when we get when we get back afterwards, there'll be time sure. to kind of like think about this stuff. Yeah. You know? And I think the military has and is modifying their training to this very complex world where the conflicts that we are now uh, going to be operating in, unless you fear something's going to happen in Iran or Syria, hmm. more often than not going into the future will be humanitarian crises that we respond mm-hmm. to. Um, and in that world... Yeah, there might be rebels or terrorists that are emboldened by these crises, and you have to actually hard fight them. But for the most part, your infantry guys are going to be doing humanitarian aid. Mm -hmm. Even we were doing that for the most part. I would say 90% of what we did was was an economy of force mission where we're essentially just building up, allowing the people to build up their infrastructure and their roads and um, the exchange of goods, kind of like showing them the proper way to yeah. to essentially live yeah and, and and so i know you want or they want to train um people for the worst case scenario which is just mm-hmm. full-blown war let's conventional balls to the wall yeah. yeah um but there needs to be some modification to that mm-hmm. because you, the worst consequences will happen if you don't train to that right yeah but if you only train to that and you don't provide people um some way to handle what to do with that level of intensity uh, so that they don't take it out on their, their junior Marines. Yeah. And the reason, the reason why I'm talking about this is for context yeah. for people to, for people to understand the reality of, of what, what we do, yeah. you know, the importance of like, you can train so much, yeah. but it's, it's, it, it emulates, it's supposed to emulate kind of like the real thing. Yeah. And, you know, like, I I'll I'll delve into this when when um, we get when we move forward here a little bit, um, but it's 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 important that people understand that the purpose of 
the military is to provide better citizens within America. I had an instructor in SOY who, who said that to me. He said that the purpose of the United States Marine Corps is not to defend and kill people and all that. He said the ulterior motive of the military structure, industrial complex, whatever you want to call it itself, is to produce better citizens within America. And, he, and you look at all these people that are running for office now. You know, you see people like Dan Crenshaw. You see people like Tulsi Gabbard, you know, that saw the rigors of war themselves over there. And I think that it produces a... It, there's something there to be said about the type of person it, it produces in a context of, you know, how we move forward as a, as a country. Sure. You know, um, so when you first... Um, when you first got to the fleet, dude, what do you what do you got there, dude? What do you got there? What you else got, you got in there? You got a jelly one in there, dude. Yeah. You got a jelly one. Um, yeah. If I had yeah. the the powdered ones, it's gonna look like I've been doing coke. Mm. Yeah, I uh, I had I had the last podcast I did with my buddy Brandon. Mm-hmm. I did that. I had a I had a thing. I, had, I got a thing across me. Yeah, it's pretty. You're just pretty talking right. the whole time. With I was just, just talking like the whole this time. White mass all over yeah, your yeah, mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was nose. like, hey man, you got some more blow? He's like, yeah, dude. Um. But um, so when you first arrived to the fleet and you went through SOI, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on SOI. SOI is basically just eight weeks of your basic infantry skills where you get broken down into your platoon makeup. So in the Marines, there's five different, five, five different um, MOSs. There's your rifleman, which is an 0311. There's your, um, your machine gunner, 0331. There's your mortarman, 0341. Your assaultman, which is the guy that goes boom, boom. Uh, he basically blows doors open, and he's a breacher. And he also shoots the shoulder, the small. Yeah. The small. Yeah. So that's your 0341. That's what he normally runs yeah. with. Yeah. And then your— He used to do javelin yeah, they, back in the day, I think. Really? Yeah. Interesting. At least that's what they would complain about. Like, why don't oh. they let us train with the javelin anymore? <laughs> but now there's a specific <laughs> what a way MLS for javelin. What a way to complain. Um that would have been really cool to shoot one of those things. Um, and then you have the other MOSs that we don't... In a regular rifle company or a regular um, rifleman company, you don't really get, you don't really see these MOSs, which is the O352, the um, anti-tank guided missileman. And very rare. Yeah. yeah, very rare. Like, they'll, they'll most likely... They'll train, you know, their anti-tank. They basically shoot a thing called the tow. Um, I don't know what even... I don't even know what it stands for. But it's a it's a rocket on top of a truck, and they shoot it from a distance, and they're your anti armor team. And when we deploy, they won't do that at all. <laughs> um, they'll more than likely just they're be just a, a rifle guy. Yeah, they're just a glorified you know machine gunner, whatever. Um, then you've got other MOSs, you know, your snipers, which are O three seven. Do they do, do they still have that? I, I thought think, they were given a different. I think O is it O three seventeen? O three seventeen. Yeah, O three seventeen, and then you've got your recon guys, which are O three twenty one. Yep. And then now the Marine Corps um, started their special operations mm. uh, program. I don't know what their MARSOC. Yeah, I don't know what their designation is for O three. Pretty sure it's still O three something something. I just I'm not sure. It's been I don't I don't spend my time looking. Uh, but that's your basic <laughs> that's your that's your basic makeup of what would be a normal, you know, um, breakdown of the type of MOSs. So if we say 0341, it's supposed to be Mortimer. We say 0331 or 31, it's a machine gunner. Um, so I don't talk like that. Yeah, I don't talk like that either. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just like, hey, dude, it's a guy. He's just there. 
Because this has been so long, dude. It's been like 10 years. I, again, I know I guys that have been out either just as long, if not longer than me, that still, yeah. they are just talking yeah. I, the, I don't, the lingo. Yeah. I, again, I don't identify myself too heavily on it. That's why I'm like, like you start doing these podcasts and everything starts coming back. And you're like, wow. It's like, man, how the hell do I know all this shit? It's like, yeah, wow, yeah. What the fuck? Um, so when you first arrived to the fleet, the operating forces of what we would call, what were your first impressions? Um, well, so we had my senior guys, majority of them, or maybe not the majority, almost when, half of them were Fallujah vets. And when you say senior guys, it means that someone that already has a deployment in front they've of you. They've done at least one deployment. Kind of like it means that they've put... They've put their time in. They have more time in grade in the Marine Corps, and yeah. they've gone through the tra- they've gone through one training cycle. They get to go and they see the real thing, and now they're going through it. Very salty again. Yep, mm-hmm. salt dogs. Basically, they've they've seen some shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and they'll they'll let you know. Um, so I I had like half, maybe a little less than half uh, Fallujah vets, um, and the other half were guys that just finished up a Mew, which is the Marine Expeditionary Unit. Essentially, you sit on a boat and you sail around the world. You know, most Army people have no idea what a Mew is. Oh, they I don't even they, they don't even know that they exist. They're missing out. Yeah. For, so I hear as yeah. someone who's never done one. I've never um, done one either. But I mean, yeah. our guys, one A guys, they they responded to Katrina. That's mm-hmm. what they did. They were the ones that yeah. actually were on deck for Katrina, which I, I think is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so you, you would have those guys cause they were technically junior to the Fallujah guys, um, had us first, but they would act like they were Fallujah vets because that's mm-hmm. how they were trained. Right. Yeah. Um, but you knew you did not talk to the Fallujah vets. You, oh, if someone told you you go find someone and they happen to be a Fallujah vet, you would be trembling. I remember, yeah. uh, why do you think that is like from, from the outside looking in the way that we, from, from the knowledge you have now. Compared to like the way I've always, I'm always they carried themselves differently. Yeah, because it, it, I, I wonder, I wonder about that. Like you know, when you like Native Americans or something, when we were, when we were, you know, or the way that they grew up with everything's based on merit, kind of like the adults. Sure. You know, the way in which we inherit like warrior culture, where it's like with the Spartans or whatever. You know how Marines adopt all of these different, yeah, <laughs> different like cultural identities. When it comes to warriors, that that we're still kind of like update my vibe. That we're still um, approaching these guys that have seen some shit, kind of like how someone would, however many years ago. Like, let's say you're part of the Comanche. It's like, hey, go tell you know Eagles Run or something. He sure. needs to like he needs to not snore at night. And you're like, holy fuck! Like, I don't know what to. This guy just killed like thirty people yesterday. I don't want to fucking. I don't. I don't know how. But you know. I don't even you know. think it's that. Yeah. You know what I think it is? Is um, you can tell the difference between someone who hasn't seen anything and someone who had their friend die. Mm. You know, it's not even about taking the, the life of someone else. It's more often than not they watched their friend die, mm. um, and they've watched some of their junior marines die. Mm-hmm. And so when some new guy comes up to them. They don't want to get to know them. Yeah. They're, they're, well, trying, they're trying to get to, the hell out. They're trying to distance themselves like, yeah. you know, like anybody else would. You yeah. know, like, why would I, why would I want to, you know, you just see another person and you kind of like, maybe that individual is, is they feel 
like in that moment they're helpless and they're vulnerable because they don't have any fucking power over that situation when their friend does something unfortunate does happen yeah. they're helpless you know and they're it's like what the fuck man and then you only respond the way you were trained kind of like to respond it's like use this aggression and you have this very powerful energy and so the only way you yeah. act out with that energy is is by the fuck away from me yeah. bitch you know and so you're you're kind of like yeah you know it just it just it it just puts on the years and you you yeah. see also like the senior command treat them a different way yeah cuz you know they like they they just don't give a fuck they know like, they've, they they've 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 grown and they've earned and at yeah. most at most they've but, earned like, it too yeah well not, you know? yeah they've they, earned they've it earned that's what it. i was going to say like not only don't do they not give a fuck but you can't just be like oh you have you're, to you're insubordinate like you know they have reason to not mm-hmm. give a fuck, and I, I say that in a way to describe not, a different. Not, yeah, feeling. not like not like it, we're not um, saying that they don't give a fuck about the the command structure. You know, yeah. we're not like they're not going to commit fucking mutiny yeah. on a ship and, or something. You know, and I think even if you go through some deployments and you can get a little salty, um, that romanticization. I know that's probably not a word, <laughs> and the glorification of 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 war and and the Marines. Some of that always still sort of stays with you, but for people like them, and not even just Fallujah vets, you know, the guys that have, were in the thick of it in Afghanistan, the guys who have been on like 13 deployments, yeah, eventually absolutely. you get to a point, especially if your friend has died, where you're like, yeah, it really is all kind of like mundane and bullshit. Like there is nothing. There's nothing. It's just it, there's, this, all white, yeah, there's all this white. There's all this white space, and and then like, you know. When I was in F, you know, when when we were when we were there, you know, like we'll get to your first deployment, and then you know our um, our second deployment to our, this fucking Iraq deployment. Josh, why don't you talk about your Iraq deployment? Ah, we whatever. Um, yeah, but you know, there but, there's some things uh, that happened during during that deployment that yeah. that still stick with me. Yeah, and um, it was just uh, throughout history. There's been stories about war, trying to yeah. trying to articulate something that men can't articulate. Like even Achilles, when Achilles was, they call it Achilles in America, and how we would look at men that return home and that they've always been here. Is that even with the Vietnam veterans, with the World War II veterans, you know, when they come home, Achilles displayed every form of post-traumatic stress that, that, that there was in regard to his experiences, you know, and every single circumstance in war is inherently different. You know, maybe we can say that the precursors to what trigger certain people like that word trigger, you know, fucking, it's, I, I, you know, these people that are so sensitive to things nowadays use that word you know but for us it's like dude you know things like i'm walking down the street and a fucking car misfires you know and all of a sudden i'm just like like i'm aware i'm aware like i don't i don't i just i get i get kind of like i'm like yep that i'm like i just stop for a second i'm like yep i know where this is coming from Mm -hmm. and uh but he displayed all the same levels of um things that impacted him all the way back in troy you know when, when when troy was happening and the way this author articulated what Achilles was experiencing during the Trojan War, and then he returns, um, the the way we 
try to look at what a warrior is, you know, whether they're Japanese, where it's kind of like this honor thing, where this one-on-one, and then it evolves into this thing where the next thing we know that the Marines are rushing islands, you know, in the Pacific mm-hmm. in World War II, because one of the biggest things that I'm writing about in my book is the, is the distinctive differences in the way I grew up in the culture around the military where I was exposed to the European theater where it was kind of like romanticized. Yeah. It's like, hey, you get to have leave. And it's like, not not romantic. It's not it's not romantic in any way. But you're saving but there's the an world. Artsy, yeah, That's there's, what's romantic. Yeah, there's you're a, there's, saving the world. Well, you are the moral compass. Yeah, and, and in the end of The Pacific, the movie, the, the yeah. series The Pacific, you see Eugene Sledge Mm-hmm. sitting down with his brother and he's like you know he's got these all these relics yeah yeah and all of these things that that he received from world war ii uh-huh. and it was a nazi flag a, a pistol and all these guys were were gathering these things then you look at the then you look at the pacific and it's like this is what the marines did and they were just they fucking killed everything because they realized the sheer ferocity of their, is it, I wouldn't say benefactors, but their their enemies, which were the the Japanese, the people they were fighting at the time, you know, and these radical these radical ideas, they they understood that there's very little written accounts of the island hopping campaign, and the reason being is because a lot of the journalists actually spent time on the ships. Mm. and what really actually took place on things like like there were people that were willing to go into the thick of it and, and mm. do what they needed to do to tell the story to capture sure. the to capture the photograph and even the guy who took the picture of the marines on Iwo Jima was killed you know oh. I'm pretty sure that he took that picture I think he was actually killed on Iwo Jima like the following oh yeah because it didn't end yeah they, yeah they the rest of the yeah. island to take yeah um and you think about you know, getting back to what like those Fallujah vets did, and how yeah. the, there's that there's that kind of like quiet professionalism, that silence almost uh, amongst them, and it's the same thing that you see in in whether it's Navy SEALs, Rangers, Special Forces, anybody, and it's like you look at Sebastian Junger's book Tribe, yeah, where are we trying to protect? We're the vessel of sheer violence, you know, and we're trying to protect the American people from the rigors of war and like what we know and what we see. And we're just trying to, maybe that silence comes from us trying to understand something that we can't naturally kind of like navigate. And the only way you can navigate it is by, you know, looking at someone else or talking with someone else that's been through the same thing. It's like, bro, what's up, dude? It's like, yo, what's up, man? You know, and you don't need to even have, you don't even need to have that, that conversation. Like when I was in um, the national guard, I met a Marine. His name was Damore. Mm-hmm. He was there during the initial invasion. One of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. You'd never know he was a Marine. Never. Never. Doesn't doesn't sure. say doesn't say a word. And everybody's like, oh, but where? Did you know Damore was a Marine? I was like, yes. Mm. Y- yes. And we've had some conversations where at the National Guard, everybody's like complaining. And I just walk over to him and I'm like, dude, they have no idea. And he's yeah. like, he's like, Bovere, just don't worry about it. He's like, they, they don't know. And, and I, and that really resonated with me. And I think that like, even getting back to Sebastian Junger's book, you know, where we're, I think we're just trying to protect people from, from the reality of it. You know, like you said, you can try and articulate it and create this like artsy 
piece to it, but there is art. There is an art to it. You know, there is an art to, to like the after, the after effects of like writing or photography, you know, like, why are you so motivated about photography? And it's like, well, because of this. Sure. You know, why are you so motivated to write? Why are you so motivated to talk to Jason about a podcast? Well, you know, because of this, you know, so there's reasons and, you know, people don't have to articulate or voice go into explicit detail about those reasons because those are very intimate moments specifically related to that individual. But, you know, I think that, where was I going? Where was I going with this? <laughs> We're talking about Felicia Vets. Yeah, but that's where that respect... I think I'm trying to articulate what I'm saying in regard to like how we respect them, you know, and like... I mean, I yeah. probably definitely feared them first than yeah. respect them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But also, I think there's definitely... You have to be cautious about labeling anyone anything sorry that's so yeah. broad but even with Fallujah vets like I respect all of them especially for what they've gone through but definitely as someone who certainly did not go through what they went through but has gone through combat um, has learned more about certain individuals uh, that did go through Fallujah you start to realize that you could have been one of them or they mm. could have been just not, they're just, they're just regular people. Right. Yeah. And some of them are turds and you can respect them from, uh, for going through that experience, but also realize that maybe they're not really good at their job or maybe mm. they want to get out of certain responsibilities. And that's the, that's one thing I, I think you have to, or we have to be cautious about with, with anything is making sure we don't we don't put, put them, people on a pedestal. We don't put them on a pedestal too much to yeah. the point where we forget, like, yeah. oh, hey, it's an it's an excuse. And you see the same thing even with the status of veteran today. Thank me for my service. Yeah, you know where a lot of people, most most, I would say the most average individual, average veteran is like, yeah, you know, they're just yeah, people are just trying to make a connection because yeah. they don't know how else they don't they don't know they're 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 attempting to you know, yeah, and it's yeah. like, hey, thank thank you for thank you for trying to. You know, I just fucking civilians. I, I don't, I don't, they're just yeah. trying to make a connection to you to resonate with something because they don't know, they yeah. don't know how. Cause That's there's, it. there's, you know, you know times mm-hmm. where, you know, I get closer to the Fallujah vets and they're like, Oh, so-and-so person. Fuck that other Fallujah vet because in the war they became a coward and they actually, they weren't in the thick of it or fuck that person because they essentially shot civilians. Yeah. Um, and and so you, if there's anything that anyone can take away from this podcast is that it's so complicated. Dude, it's, it's, it's not. It's not. It's really complicated. It's complicated. It's complicated in and of itself with every circumstance yeah. that happens. You know, I could, we, we could sit here and we can pick it apart all day, but yeah. you know, it's a lot easier from the outside looking in. You know, it's a lot yeah. easier from the outside looking in. And like, yeah. there's, a, there's a very good friend of mine and she is... And, and this is why I find, I don't want to say that I hate attaching the name Marine to myself. I consider, I, you know, 
wholeheartedly I am to my core at, mm-hmm. at some point, but I don't really exhibit. I, I don't, like I said, like I said, I don't have any service loyalty. It was just, it happened to be the branch that I went into. And I'm so proud that I went through, that I went through and I experienced the things I did. Cause we wouldn't even be having this conversation right here if, if it didn't, sure. you know? And I think about like, what if, um, I had been a soldier or something or, you know, whatever. Um, but To get back to that original point, I, I had a I had a fucking thought right there for a second. Um, no, this is what I was going to say. My 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 friend, mm-hmm. very good friend of mine from Colorado, she is a trauma victim from her previous husband, mm-hmm. and he was a he did a lot of really mean things to her when he came back, and she attributes it to like his time in service. Now, like you said. Everything's complicated. Does that mean that he was that way? Like, regardless, this guy was a piece of shit before he fucking joined the military. Sure. If he's going to physically harm some someone that cares about him, then he's then the military will maybe exacerbate his symptoms to make him sure. to make him worse off. That he can't control himself a little bit, a little bit, and he's only going to act out that energy that that the military hones in on. It's like like you said, you know, we we respect certain people but it's complicated but at the same time i'm also willing to admit like dude no fuck this guy that guy was a piece of shit before he fucking joined he's a fucking piece of shit now regardless of whether he has the fucking status of veteran attached to his name or not if he's if he's if he's physically do if he's domestically harming someone that cares about him he's weak yeah he's weak you know he can yeah you can fucking be a guy that can carry all this weight and all sorts of shit but the moment you come home you start harming someone yeah, that's in in my in my own personal opinion, that's weak. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, I just getting back uh, to it, talking about the Fallujah vets and you know initially fearing them, but then you know always respecting them. Caveat is, mm. some of them don't deserve that, right? Um, yeah, I don't want to lump not all not every together, yeah. Basically, right? we're not we're not lumping them all in together to say, but it was a Fallujah. For those of you listening, was a very large fight that took place between it's the largest urban. It was the largest fight since Way City, right? Yep, O three and O four. There was Operation Vigilant Resolve, which was the first one, and then there was Operation Phantom Fury. I think the Phantom Fury was the second one. Yeah, and basically what they said was. The first one, it had to do with the contractors. There were four Blackwater contractors that these Iraqi militiamen decided to hang over a bridge and kill. Set them on fire, too. Yeah, and they set them on fire. And so the U.S. responded by saying, all right, well, you know, all of these insurgents congregated to Fallujah. And I think the initial one, I don't know the month specifically. I know it was 03. The first, the first... Oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the first one was Vigilant Resolve, where they went and they tried to you know, rid the city of these insurgents. And Fallujah was called the city of mosques because of how many mosques that were there in Iraq. It was a very holy city at the time. Um, not, not, I don't want to say it was holy, but it was, it was revered for its, its religious icon, essentially, in the, in, the, in the Iraqi, at least, you know, their religion. And the insurgents took advantage of this by often firing from those mosques. And so the United States military uh, had to go in a second time because they 
cleared it. I, they cleared a section of it, the, a section of the city, from what I recall, and it was literally house to house, street to street. You know, and this is how they cleared it: was they were using just physical bodies to go into these to these houses where these insurgents were, and there was just it was essentially war of attrition on on what they could do. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was how they had to perform their job. So there was a lot of uh, there was a, a very 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 heavy fighting that took place in 03 to 04. A lot of casualties. I think it was the army, um, wasn't it? The army that? was in first. I think I think something something along those lines. Yeah. yeah, or maybe I think what happened was wasn't it the army that had actually killed a few civilians that were on top of a rooftop or something Gosh, like that? Know about that, dude. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I'm very little hazy on the details. It's been so long, but yeah. So that was what had happened. And so then all these insurgents kind of like, hey, man, we're going to Fallujah to fight the Americans, you know, and they all flocked to Fallujah. And then it was just a complete anarchy, anarchy situation. So the United States military responded by saying, hey, we're going to go in. And, you know, there was uh, Operation Phantom Fury, which was the second operation where they go in and they clear these they clear the entire city of um the enemy, essentially, you know, and one yeah. eight was actually one of the one of the the battalion that we were a part of. First Battalion Eighth Marines was one of the units that spearheaded that assault. I think they were they the way that the makeup was was that we were actually like right in the center. That I, I believe we were right in the center. I don't. I'm again. It's don't quote me on any of this, but um, that was what they did. So when Jason first showed up to the fleet the operating forces a lot of those guys were had that experience underneath their belt so um what was it like during your workup when you were actually training for your your first deployment i mean i honestly think training in the fleet is is harder than soi boot camp because one you've got guys who are experienced and they know how demanding it is in in combat uh, actually operating and they apply that in the training um and then two that the stakes are so much higher like in boot camp and even soi you're, you're just like yeah i'm gonna be in the marines essentially playing war that's yeah that's the level that you're at but you are now training with people you are actually going to go to war with yeah. and so the the stakes are so much higher um your willingness to not make a mistake, your fear of making a mistake is I was more, stronger. I, I finished right? some humps because I was afraid of like, you don't want to let the repercussions and of, the repercussions of, of, of like getting whatever. yelled at and stuff like that. But I mean, yeah, like you said, you don't want to let those guys down, you know, you know, people talk about how bad hazing is, but in my opinion, there's nothing worse than thinking you let your guys down. Absolutely. Even if you didn't, even if it's no fault of your own, there's no worse feeling, whether it's a training or, or when you're operating, to think that you let your guys down, I'd rather get hazed. You know, they asked me why I never picked up a uh, sergeant in the, in the Army, uh-huh. because I used it as a, as a way. I needed some transferable skills, essentially, to get into public affairs. Um, and I, I did. I did you, the the military is great, dude. I love it. It's given me the opportunity to pursue a different career. Um, they ask me, you know, they say to me, they're like, Bovary, shouldn't you be a fucking sergeant by now? And I, they say that to me all the time. 
and some in the back of my mind, I don't know why, but I remember being in the infantry and seeing guys like go left or right, you know, and I, I don't know if I'd be able to, the way, the, the way I, the way I am being as a very sensitive individual as I am, as a, as a, as a picking up on other people's emotions, whatever you want to call it. I don't know if I would be able to make that sort of decision to be like, Hey, go left or right. And then something God forbid something bad does happen. I wonder where I would be if I was in that situation. And like to be put in to, to really be put in those shoes where you have to make that decision. Hey, go left or right. And then, you know, something so small, a simple, simple footsteps, sure. you know, something so small. It's a matter of, it's like photography. It's a simple moment. Once it's there, it's gone. And it's all, it all has to do come down to a moment. And it's a, it's a simple, it's a simple flash like yeah. that. And that's why I love photography so much. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful art form. You capture a moment and it's, it's a memory. It's preserved. And, you know, when people would ask me, why aren't you a sergeant right now? I'm like, well, you know, I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of critical of myself in regard to, uh, picking up rank. Are you doing your fucking SSR, whatever the fuck, the SSD? Yeah, sure. Oh yeah, of sure. course. And then in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm not gonna, I don't, I don't want to. Like, I just, I'm just here to fucking get my, do my three-year contract and get out and then mm. work for the federal government. I just, I don't, I don't know if I would be able to coming from where we come from yeah. and seeing the things that, you know, I read up on a lot of literature and things like that, but you know, coming full, full circle with it. Like, yeah, some of those guys did deal with those situations, you know, and I wonder like if I was in that situation where I had to make a decision, I don't know if I'd be able to live with myself, you know, because I think that like people like me and you, we have a very deeply intricate bond. You know, there's a level of intimacy that happens that you can't replicate, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that you see that in, with veterans, you know, and even when I come home and I like see something that reminds me of it, it's like, it's so hard to kind of like, that's why I, I want to distance myself from it so much. You know, that's why we're like doing this podcast is that it's like, you know, I have so much respect, man, for those, for those guys and what they went through that like, as the years go by, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's different. You know, it's it's nothing but respect, I guess. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know how to articulate it, but no, I, like you, you know, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. Um, but yeah, so that's why I think it's it's more difficult. Sorry, I, I have these tangents, man. Where I go on? No, no. But I mean, I think it's 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 great. I think you, I think it's really important stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. First entering the fleet, going into the the first deployment, um, that's when I became a saw gunner. You know, all great, all great boots. The greatest of all boots becomes. I was saw a gunners. fucking radio operator, though, man. <laughs> Fuck. Um, 
which I thought yeah. was a really great experience. Um, mm-hmm. You know, at the moment, at that moment, I was like, this thing, you know, machineers are going to cry when they hear me talking about this i was like oh it's it's really heavy yeah 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 you have to carry yeah. all the ammo and then all your stupid spare barrels and i was like can i really do this in hindsight it's really fucking easy and i was carrying heavier shit in afghanistan and, yeah and on yeah. my actual deployments yeah but when we yeah. first do it it's still like a bit of a shock um but you also being a saw gunner you learn really what initiative is because it's one of the most important if you're just bare bones infantry squad and you don't have a machine gunner with you it's the most important weapon to have you know one of the most important people. well it's, it's because you need to understand like if, if you're going to be a team leader most of those guys that become saw gunners were you know were, did become team become leaders, team leaders did become squad because they leaders, understand you know? they understand the initiative yeah, they have like that they have that firm grasp they understand how to employ the weapon system yeah you know? yeah choosing which mm-hmm. um area of fire you should is the most opportune um figuring out how to cover people it's also a much more complicated weapon system than the 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 M16. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was fortunate enough to be made a, a saw gunner and, and someone, you know, saw potential in me. So I was able to learn those skills early on. And then uh, my second deployment, I did become a, a team leader. Um, so yeah, the, in the fleet leading up to that, um, you're learning, like you get to touch these new weapon systems in SOI, but man, do you get some depth yeah. in the fleet? Yeah. Um, and it was actually, you get a lot of, like you said, you get kind of like, when you're in boot camp, you're like, dude, wow, I'm carrying a day pack. And then all of a sudden, like, you get body armor yeah. with plates, with a pack, yeah, with with a fucking sleeping system that weighs 10 pounds. And I, I still wonder about that. Like, why the fuck do we have sleeping bags that weigh 10 pounds? Yeah, like, you know, there's sleeping bags now. I <laughs> haven't bought new ones in yeah, like yeah. 50 yeah, years. Yeah. So, um, so you got to use the weapon system. Um and then you go to Iraq for your first deployment. So you had already like you did you did your workup. Uh, is there anything like in your workup? Do you, do you really remember kind of the training that you went through that time? Because you know I know that we go to we go to AP Hill or yeah. Fort so Pickett. You, yeah, you, know? you do Fort Pickett. Um, you also that was my first time doing the, um, the one in the Mojave Desert. What do they call that? Mojave not. Um, Mojave Viper. Viper, yeah, yeah Mojave, Mojave Viper, Viper. yeah, so stupid. Yeah. Um, and by then I was really confident. Like I was wielding, so the the, the saw or essentially a light machine gun. Um, but I was wielding that thing like it was just an M16. I was yeah, very yeah. confident. It was not heavy to me anymore. I was shooting it as Fucking accurately, just like like holding it up and yeah. shooting it accurately, um, as if it was just an M16. Like like you should all all mm-hmm. saw gunners should be doing that. It's like taking a um, sword and just swinging it ten thousand yeah, times. I felt, yeah, yeah, and doing a lot of the urban warfare stuff. Finally, like everything I imagined what I'd be doing once I joined the military, I was finally doing it. Like. Mm-hmm. How, the house to house stuff, the stuff that as Fallujah was happening and I was in my senior year and I was like, I need to get out there. Yeah. I was finally doing something that resembled that. So I was feeling pretty good going into uh, Iraq. And then, so you go to Mojave Viper. <laughs> Were you there in the summer or the winter? This one was, uh, I'm trying to remember. I know I've done. You did two um, summer and one winter. Mm. So the one, the one we did when we were go, when we were going to Iraq was in the winter. So you did the summer. Well, did you? We did one before Afghanistan too. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. We did the one. We so did the, the one, one when we went to Iraq. You said that was summer. That was the winter one, and then when we went. Okay, to, so I think this yeah. first one was summer. Yeah, when yeah. we went to Afghanistan, that was the oh, summer yeah, it was one. Yeah, definitely summer. Yeah, that was yeah. the summer one. Um, yeah. So when we, uh, <laughs> so when you were there, um, just a quick synopsis of uh, Mojave Viper. You're at a place uh, twenty. <laughs> call it Twenty Nine Palms. Twenty Nine. Yeah, yeah Twenty Nine. Twenty Yeah, Twenty Nine Stumps, and it's about like two hours from um, Las Vegas. You want to know what's actually funny about? Like ever since I got into climbing, uh, Joshua Tree National Park is like I I, uh, I camped at Joshua Tree. Really? And when I uh, heard the explosions in the far distance, <laughs> this is after yeah. I was in the Marine Corps. I was like, "Why the fuck am I camping here? This is yeah, this is literally I've the exact same." I've done this same too many times. It's thing. really yeah. the terrain yeah. is exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's it, a desert. So. It, it literally, but it kind of resembles like Afghanistan. You know, from where we in were some parts, least. yeah, in some in some in some parts, you know, where all that chossy rock it's very, is, yeah, you know, rocky with yeah. shrubs, and know. even even with the um, like with the climbing, some of the some of those boulders yeah. are fucking huge. So a lot of the climbers love Joshua Tree for that for that very yeah. thing. Is like it's very um, bouldery, you know, for for climbing things yeah. like that. Um, did you have a certain time you needed to? I have a call in? at three thirty. Okay, so we still got time. Yeah, we still cool. have time. Okay, perfect. Um, so then. Guess how long it's been? It's been an hour and forty. Cool. Yeah. So, do you want to keep? Do you want to take a break for a second? No, we or? can. We can keep okay, going. That's, cool. Unless you want right. a break. Can no. I get you water or anything? No, I'm all set, man. Cool. Um, so then you get to Iraq for your first deployment. Yeah. What were some of your? Can you walk me through what were some of your? What was like your mindset? Some of the, some of the things that you were you were thinking about or your impressions that you had when you first going to war showed man. up. Going to war, yeah, um, yeah. It was it was really interesting because I, I mean I thought we were going to full blown war, mm-hmm. um, and now this is 2007. Uh, I remember so when you fly into Iraq. I'm trying to think, where did I go in? Yeah, because there's a couple. I went to uh, TQ, mm-hmm. spent a few weeks there. Um, I was like, this feels more like yeah. TQ is your uh, regular Al- desert. Yeah, Alticatum, Alticatum. Yeah, just fucking nothing but brown Hotel California. Fucking um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a very large base, very well protected and resourced. Mm-hmm. Um, so because it, it feels more like Kuwait. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, for those who have not been to Kuwait, yeah, my buddy um, actually deployed to Kuwait, and I said, "I'm so sorry for you." They do yeah. the, the army does rotations do. to Kuwait. Yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah. he was there. They our brigade, yeah. so called our brigade element. I, yeah. the, I was in the RBE remain behind element, and they went to Kuwait, and I was like, "Holy shit!" I was like, "I would fucking lose my shit if I." Yeah, <laughs> I just that's uh, poor. Yeah, poor, poor army guys. Yeah, but, um, yeah, so, so, yeah. It's. It's got KFC. It's like Kuwait. It's it's yeah. cushy. It's warm. Um, and Very we're ready warm. to go. And we're just getting intel of uh, in within the area. The Battle of Donkey Island had just happened. Battle of Donkey which Island. Which turns out, if, <laughs> maybe it's real or not. It it was real when they were telling us. But it was one of the last major battles. Mm-hmm. And I say that as if it's going to be in history books, but it will never be <laughs> major to us. Yeah. Um, there was a large insurgent contingent um, that was gearing up to attack some sort of installation within the Ramadi area and the Marines or someone got wind of it and they just fucked them up. <laughs> was, but we're yeah. hearing that and it's like, okay. oh, this is still like Fallujah. There's still battles going on, right? Yeah, yeah. And so flying from Altakadam to Camp Ramadi, um, I remember 
I always say his name, but our platoon commander, all platoon commanders are pretty <laughs> I know, much I know who you're talking. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. He's looking down from the helicopter, uh, and he sees in, in Ramadi, there's like, there's lights. They're, they're police car lights all over the place, just like any city would. Uh, and he's like nudging the, one of the helicopter guys, uh, the crew, crew guys. And he's like, there's a firefight down there. <laughs> And he just looks at him like he's a fucking idiot because he is. It's just police lights. But even then, like all the young guys are like, "Oh shit, look at that! Yeah, it's, it's hot down there. This might yeah. be a hot landing." We get to Camp Ramadi, um, stay there for a little bit. But now it's time for us to push out. We we stay in a suburb outside of the actual city of Ramadi, and we guard one of the bridges. Um, this is ECP South, um, and being a young guy, even though I'm a saw gunner. Uh, I'm one of the idiots that had to take Humvee training, and God forbid anyone takes Humvee training. Don't ever vault. Don't ever you, let your license expire, guys. If you go, let your license expire. Fail it. Fail it. Fuck it. Get away from it. Yeah. Show that you're an incompetent human being yeah. that really shouldn't be if in the infantry. A, there, like, be be as smart as you can be when it comes to infantry stuff, but when you don't drive. Yeah. In you fact, will before you join the military, don't even get a license. Shred your license up. Yeah. Let someone else drive. Um, because you will just be asked to be a or designated driver. Tell them, tell them it's expired. That's what someone else, whenever, um, whenever, whenever they would, it. whenever they would ask, I would ask, dude, your license is expired. He's like, no, it's not. It's not expired. He's like, dude, I just tell him it's expired. He's like, I don't want to fucking drive. I was <laughs> yeah. like, smart guy. <laughs> so anyways, I become anyways, yeah, a driver. Yeah. I, I think I'm, I'm the first Vic. Um, and in the training for Humvee driving, in Iraq or combat zones, they, they train you how to look out for IEDs and you're like, okay, I know what I'm doing. And we punch out the gate and as I'm driving, I'm like, holy fuck, everything, everything looks, looks like, like, an like an a ID. fucking IED. And oh, it, look, it's, it was it's so nerve wracking. Garbage, garbage. Yeah. Hey, so I remember when we would do our training in like <laughs> Fort Pickett on a, on a very flat gravel packed yeah. road, there'd be like a trash bag. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's, uh, that looks very familiar right there. And then you get in, <laughs> you get an Iraq fucking trash bags. Yeah. Well, and in the training, you're like stopping yeah. at everything and you're like yeah. looking at, but in this, they're just like, just go, go, yeah. go, go. Yeah. And in my head, I'm like, I'm going to get these people fucking killed. Yeah. Um, I can't, you can't dodge anything. Like everything. If you're going to dodge this, you're going to hit that. Um, and there's actually a picture of me once we got to, um, I forget what they called them. The, our main base. Uh, outside of is it? I heard. I remember you guys talking about Cop Steel or something. Yeah, like that. it's Cop Steel. Cop Steel. Uh, we got there. There's a picture of me just sitting there, and it's a thousand mile stare. Um, and I'm just like, you can't see what I look like, but I'm just, I'm just gone. And it's it, that's like literally seconds after I, I stepped out of the vehicle. I'm like, how the fuck am I supposed to do this deployment? Yeah, this yeah. sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but then. Turn out so bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they say, uh, listening to some of the guys, I, I wasn't in Ramadi with you that deployment because you, you know, you were obviously one of my senior Marines. Yeah. And they say that Ramadi was the model used for the counterinsurgency campaign. Kind of yeah. like, hey, this was this, this, from some of the podcasts I've listened to talk about their deployments in Ramadi, you know, and they say that. You know, this this was a place where it was like a fucking shitstorm yeah. back in the day, and then it completely, almost completely turned around. What were some of? I remember you mentioning what were some of what what what's like a typical day look well, like for you? The, shed some 
one thing to show how terrible Ramadi was, like the remnants of that was all around you. There, mm-hmm. from one of the posts that I used to guard on ECP South, uh, across the street, there was something known as the Swiss Cheese House. And that's because it was this house that the insurgents would constantly use to fire on the ECP. And it was just huge holes through it. So you, I mean, you could tell shit was going down at one point in that area, um, just from what you could see. And even the unit before us, I believe, um, the way that they would patrol, they would actually only use vehicles. They would mm-hmm. never get out. They would just drive around and now not you, make contact with anyone. Are you doing night patrols here as well? You're doing yeah, night, night and day everything. patrols? Yeah. Yeah, because there were some guys that were talking about some of the other operations that they were doing, and they were like, no, we're not they patrolling. They would never go. The yeah, unit they're like, us. we're not patrolling at day. They would only patrol at night. You know, I've heard, I've also heard some other, some other guys talk about how they're only patrolling during the day and they don't yeah. even bother going out at night because it's just going to be laden with IDs and then they go out or it's just, you know, an easy hit. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. and, but we were going to change that. And this isn't just our unit making that decision that this is, this is, you know, someone higher up making a decision like, uh, counter terrorism, counter war, uh, this type of warfare mm. has coin, to change. Coin, yeah. The coin, coin ops, coin ops, tempo's got to change. Operation. Yeah. And so, this is when we start actually patrolling more often. Um, and during these patrols, particularly during the day, uh, just infantry guys, not like public affairs guys, not PSYOP guys, like regular infantry squad leaders mm-hmm. would be knocking on doors and getting a census, figuring out who's in there. What can we do to be helping them? This is that humanitarian aid element that mm-hmm. I was talking about. Which is, um, it's different. It's different when infantry guys kind of are like, Gung ho the whole time, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're like you're now slowing you're like, the tempo. Yeah, you're like doing this. So imagine like yeah. what a couple of the Fallujah guys went through when they were, you know, they they were responding to like Hurricane Katrina. You know, these are like wow, these are Americans. Well, even Fallujah you know? guys with us, yeah. I still had rec- yeah. uh, my uh, my squad leader was a Fallujah guy. Mm. He's like one of the more well-known Fallujah guys. Is that uh, is that is that a certain individual that a certain um, Texan? Yeah, I think I think yeah I've, yeah. I've, yeah. That's a man I'll fear. Yeah. But, uh, respect. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, taught me, I, I would always say like my, my team leader, uh, really great guy. He was, um, he wasn't a fluge vet, uh, but he taught me how to be an empathetic leader. Uh, mm-hmm. and that you don't always have to be an asshole and, and discipline in a certain way. You can pull your junior guy aside and be like, what is going on with you? Why yeah. are you fucking up? And then, uh, kind of like show the hum- human yeah. side of and yourself. Then, yeah. And then my squad leader being the Fallujah vet, he too, he taught me how to kill well. He taught me how to do the, the, the hardest stuff, the, the more aggressive stuff. And, um, and so I, I had to go to show there's balance. two, there's, yeah, there's, there's, there's two, two different, there's two different types yeah. of, of, of people. And, I don't know if I've, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this on the podcast before in that book, Tribe, where when people, these yeah. miners get trapped, yeah, those miners get trapped in that tunnel and then, you know, you have this aggressive, like, we're, we're not fucking stuck in here and then all of a sudden, they're, it, it goes completely dark, you know, their batteries yeah. die out and then they look more for, like, these these passive kind of people Comforting. that are like, yeah, like, hey, man, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna get out of here, you know, you don't have to, not, not, it's not to say that they, they, they can't be aggressive, it just means that they step up in, in a different, you know, these different situations. Yeah. There's so many different, there's so many different philosophies Absolutely. and leadership and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so he was going through the same sort of transition with the coin ops. Um, 
and we really embraced it. Uh, you know, two, two examples that come to mind that really show how connected we were to that community. Um, uh, one, we cared about so much, us individually, not the command telling us what to do, that um, at one point we did a, a patrol and we stumbled upon a, a town that was kind of, or not town, um, a, a house that was pretty far out there. And we had our doc look at the, the people's kids. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them had died the, the day before. And the oh, other shit. one was on track to die again. And it's because they didn't really have water or medication. Um, they just didn't have the right supplies. It's, it's war. Yeah, because um, it, it's, it's, it's a third world country. You know, it's yeah. It's Iraq, yeah. And so we patrolled back to our base. Um, but... Like you can't just patrol when you really want to, right? Like you it has have to, to be, it has, has to be scheduled. Yeah, their mission card and the whole, the whole thing. Exactly, whole you have to get approval. Yeah. Um, and a couple of us got together and like, if we don't get something out to those, that to that family, that that kid is gonna die. And then soon after, more people in that family are gonna die. Who who would like to volunteer to go back out there? And we got a couple volunteers, uh, even though we had like patrolled all day in the heat. Uh, we got a couple of people together, got the supplies, forced or, you know, begged for permission. Uh, and we got it and we patrolled back out there, even though we're tired. And like, just because you go out there and do stuff like this, um, you know, humanitarian, taking care of the community, uh, that doesn't mean you, you don't have to do post later mm-hmm. that night. Like yeah. I did post later that night, even though I was super tired and didn't get any sleep. Um, and like we, we had a kinship with the community mm-hmm. and it showed because in the my in this other example, when we were leaving, like our unit was pulling out, we were done with our deployment. People from the community came up to ECB South crying, begging us not to go because we were hmm. so different from the other units that had been there that we had actually made an effort to be a part of the community, to know who they were, know the leaders, work together, build their help them build their roads. Um, they really didn't want us. So to you go. had a, you had a really that you you kind of set the standard yeah. for what now yeah. was this was this just Charlie Company itself or was this this was is the second platoon Charlie Company was this at ECP South was yeah. it was this emulated through the rest like just from second platoon I think definitely a was, bit. It, was it I mean, was it was it our company like it was I'd, it I'd like to so? take pride and you know I don't know exactly what happened at the other uh, Ford bases um, but they didn't go up to those places they came to ECP South. Hmm. Um, I, I, it should have been replicated. I hope that some of it was. And I, I think the other platoons were making an effort to definitely do better. And they did do better than the, the units before them. Um, How did that make you feel when they came up to see? Like, they didn't want to go. You? I wanted to say. And it's not even like they came up and like, hey, the Marines are leaving. Please don't leave because the insurgents are going to come. They knew another unit was coming in. Um they get a general after a few years. They get a general understanding exactly. of how the rotations exactly. work. You know, like we can't. We, yeah, they're like can't have people stay here yeah. forever. You know, yeah. and you it, know, that's a they they establish a really yeah. deep intricate bond with these people they've spent the last few months with, and then to just kind of like, hey, I've left sure. I've left my mark on this community, and then you know, yeah. and and I've done only three deployments, but I will say your first deployment is the one that has the biggest impact on you, mm-hmm. um, and. Yeah, that that just really, really shaped me, and and how you should do war, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, well, also the importance that you're not of how flexible you have to be to kind of go to war. You know, is that like it's not always 
you know, it's, you know, they, how they say, um, bullets, beans, and band-aids, you know, maybe it's yeah. not always bullets. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just band-aids one, one, one time, you know, this, maybe this time it's more of yeah. providing security for the, for the locals and, you know, it's, you know, the band-aids and beans. Yeah. You know? Well, you, and you, so. like I said, you have to be flexible. I think training now probably has been modified to reflect that but certainly when i was in even when you were in i mean dude i don't even think that they knew how to you know thinking about it i don't think that they had dealt with an insurgency like that since vietnam because surely i mean like the some some guys that we that were in when we were in afghanistan you know they were they were desert shield they were retiring they they had they had come in in desert shield you know so these salty gunnies whatever and first Mm -hmm. sergeants had been in since you know the the initial invasion of iraq the way back in the 90s you know and you know i don't know their opinion on the matter but in regard to the coin ops i don't want to say it seems like they were making it up as they go along but it replicated the thing in vietnam where it was like hey instead of seek and destroy maybe we should help these people out you know and actually provide some infrastructure yeah and, hearts and, and minds yeah, that sort of yeah. thing yeah because the marines did that back in the the marines did that back in vietnam and they saw a lot of really good yeah. effort and and results from what they had done rather than like the army some army units not all of them you know were like hey let's go seek and destroy and, sure i mean and, it was is generally more something that should have been done earlier on in the vietnam war it's a whole different. They they took that over that that mm-hmm. sort. They rep. They 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 took in this coin ops in Vietnam later. Than yeah, they should have. Yeah, it just too late. But there was a lot of yeah. There was a lot of fucking red tape and there was a lot of fucking political political ramifications. And yeah. dude, those those guys they had they they were they were fighting but with their hands tied with with. Looking at that, the historical, sure. the historical um, context of, of what they had to, just I'm like, how, how, what? You can't. That defies any sense of I'm like that defies all sense of logic. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's 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 yeah. you know, it's a very yeah, uh, yeah it's tricky. Yeah, war but, is and, war is very tricky. Yeah, but I mean, you're still it's still difficult because not only are you on edge because you're in war zone. Um, you've been trained to work at a certain tempo, a uh, very intense tempo, but also during the whole time you're like, we didn't see much action in that first deployment, but man, did we get a lot of reports shit was going to go down. Mm-hmm. Um, people also, it was really aggravating because we did want to take care of this community. And then by this time, the insurgents realized like we cannot go toe to toe with the U S military so let's take it to the civilians. Civilians would start getting blown up. Civilians would start getting kidnapped. And there is nothing we can do about it. And dude, so that's so frustrating. Dis- and dude, that's frustrating because yeah. these are these are people that are caught in between. Yeah. And it's like you want to you want to be that protector. You want to But you can't do it. Like you got yeah, you're you you want to do kind of like what you're trained. You know, the way you're trained to respond to this is that it's like you are that protector. It's yeah. like and these people are caught in between in Again, they don't often train you for the people that are caught in between. It's like here's it's a very it's a very narrow kind of pipeline. It's like here's the enemy, kill them, and then sure. like we get you know we get briefed on 
how to deal with civilians and things like that. But there's, there's no really like psychological training that from what I can remember, at least of when we were, you know, this, this, this is what could happen if X, Y, Z happens, yeah. you know, well, and, and, and sometimes maybe you can't, there's a lot yeah. of things in life that you have there's to so experience many for your, your, yourself. Like yeah. I is, I don't even know how to begin to sit down a junior Marine and be like, look, there's a high possibility in this deployment that not only are you not going to be able to function at the intense tempo that I've trained you at, but you're going to hear about things that you could, you apply that to, mm-hmm. uh, and you will never get a chance to do it. Like you're going to hear about, uh, insurgents moving in a certain area, but we're not going to send you because there's a family right there or there's, there's, there's all of these there's all of these things to take into consideration, which is, is or the intel's bad and yeah. doesn't even exist. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> it's just a it's a total mind fuck. Yeah, uh, and it's kind of something you have to experience. You can't it's, be told this. You can't be trained to get prepared for that. Right. It's weighing out all of your options as a leader. You know, as like looking at it from the perspective where I've I've worked with a lot of, um, I've worked with a lot of officers over the years in the army and seeing how they weigh out the options, I would often apply that, excuse me, I would often apply that like I would if I was in the infantry, kind of like running through scenarios in my head, mm-hmm. using the decision, the the way I was brought up in the infantry, kind of looking at it as a way of like, how would I decipher this this decision, this, mm-hmm. this military decision, it's what they call MDMP, military decision-making process sure. or whatever. And I'll weigh out like the different factors in regard to, like, I don't know how to articulate it, but it's, it's, I weigh, it's like a, a balancing of scales, you know, like if I do this, this could potentially happen outweighing like risk yeah. and risk management or just considerations, you know, and when Marine officers have to deal with that, um, most often, sometimes it can, it can lead to one of their own Marines getting hurt, or it could lead to the possibility of civilians you know, God forbid, get killed, you know, and yeah. it's like having to weigh out the option of you're playing with, you're not playing with what you're making decisions that ultimately impact people's lives. Sure. You know, um, so you, you're, Iraq goes by for you and when, when were you there? What year? Uh, 2007 to 2000, 2008. So we got there actually, okay. I think you were on deck September 11th of 07 and then we left no shit spring 08 yeah hmm. yeah because i joined in uh october 15th of 07 i joined in october uh graduated okay. it's like so boot camp and stuff yeah right? yeah, yeah so that would make and, sense why you would end up with yeah. us by yeah the time you so then um us, yeah so then i graduated january of 08 and then i went through soi uh 08 and I actually fell back in training in mm. SOI because all of my instructors were Fallujah vets, every single one of them. And they ended up, um, I ended up, something got fucked up with my leg. And uh, I think I, like I twisted my knee wrong or some shit. And uh, I got put back in training. So I was with Charlie Company. And then I got, I went back to Bravo and that's where I met Sergeant Pagaro and Bravo Company. Mm. And he would always tell us, he's like, don't fucking burn any bridges over here kind of type thing. You yeah. know? He's like, be be on your A game every time. Yeah. And um, we went, you know, when we first arrived um, to 
the fleet my my experience when i first arrived to the fleet um there was there was this who was i forget who it was it was i think it was a, <laughs> it was actually yeah it was a marine he, he ended up turning out to be a piece of shit later on um but he they gather us all together and he's like, i fucking hate every single one of you just kind of like hey welcome yeah. welcome to the fleet and um that was our um kind of like welcome ceremony and everybody was always talking like oh man these guys are coming back from iraq like like these guys are gods you know and uh we had been hearing you know the hazing the hazing thing and you just you don't really know how to process it it's just kind of like ah whatever they're they're gonna fucking do it they're gonna do it okay cool they tell me to jump off a bridge they're gonna fucking tell me to jump off a bridge i'm gonna do it you know regardless whatever um and so then everybody came back i think you guys were on leave when we had when we came back and then that was when the full battalion had actually yeah yeah. the, the full battalion came back and everybody was there um i remember my first impressions on uh meeting like one of my first team leaders yeah you know it was uh we were actually giving a class on how to kill <laughs> how to how to how to properly kill and i ended up asking him i said well how you know because i was still young i was only 18 at this time and uh maybe i was 19 i think i was 19 i was born in april yeah so i was 19 at the time and i said to him i was like well, how can you how can you kill someone this is a legit question it's a legit question I had. I was like, how can you just, I was like, I'm not trying to, I'm not, I didn't, I didn't literally ask it like that, but it was more of like, I was like, how can you like a philosophical kind of context? Sure. Like, how do you, how do you conjure up the courage to, to, to do that? And he's like, well, you just do. He's like, you start with fucking small things, you know, rats, birds, whatever. <laughs> and then I was like, I was like, I was like, that, I was like, that doesn't, that doesn't seem Looking back, I was like, that doesn't... You know who I'm talking about? Who the, no, I actually don't. Oh, don't. it was a um, person that was uh, in... Were we third squad? It was third squad we were. And was uh, it was... Um, want to use first names? Sure. It was, it was yeah. Matt. It was Matt. Really? It was Matt. Yeah, it was Matt. And, uh, well, no, he was, he, was, he was giving a legit answer. What and kind so, of course was he teaching? I don't know. Well, you know, privately you know, kill. Well, you know, you know, when I first got there, man, I was a timid fucking. I was a timid fucking kid, man. And uh, so we were getting a class on that, and you know, everybody I can, that every, I can hear him, yeah. giving a stupid answer, like yeah. That. And everybody, well, I mean, it's 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 he's trying to prepare us, you know, like essentially, and um, that I think it was that same night. I, this was like one of the first times I had met him. Right. And uh, I was like, man, I fucking hate this guy. I fucking hate this guy. I was yeah. like, I don't like him at all. And so I had this overwhelming amount of animosity towards him. So that night comes to comes to my room, knocks on my door. He's drunk. So grabs me, grabs uh, grabs Cody, who the other guys in my team, my fire team. Yeah. Comes over. He's like, motherfucker. He's like, get in the car. So we get in the car. He's driving, and it's like, I think he was a little inebriated, you know, at this point. Sure, um, sure. And the thing that I remember that I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably, I don't know, if I'm gonna write about it in my book or not, but um, I don't know how to articulate this because essentially he's he's inebriated and he's at the wheel, but we didn't go far. But I'm sitting here thinking to myself, I'm in the car. I'm like, dude, what the fuck am I doing? Like, why am I in this fucking car? Why the fuck did I decide to get in this car? You know. We drive out to PT Road, mm-hmm. and we gets out of the parking lot. Like you can see the barracks. Oh, we, you, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see the barracks from where we are. So we didn't go far. 
gets out of the car. He goes, Bovere, you're a fuck up. <laughs> and I'm like, Highland Scoreboard. He's like, you're a fuck up. He's like, guess what? He's like, I don't care. He's like, look across that. That look lazy at, fuck yeah. drove you to PT Road. He didn't yeah. run you to PT Road. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, well, it's late at night. It's like Anyways, it's like it's, a, yeah, it's, like, it's like it's like it's like one in the morning. It's like one in the morning or so. And uh, so he he's, he says, he's like, look across that ocean right there. He's like, you see that? He's like, there's people across that water that want to kill you. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to do everything within my power to make sure that that doesn't happen. Oh, that's nice. Of him. He's like, he's like, I don't have anything else besides my fire team right now. He's like, I don't have anything else besides you two. He's like, so. If you fuck up, he's like, you fuck up. He's like, but we're gonna, we're, we're about to get in the shit. And uh, yeah, I still remember him fucking saying that to me. Is that like, you know, as fucked up as I was, um, he still like was willing to go to bat. Yeah. You know, even when I was like fucked up, but his 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 ulterior motive was, you know, he said that he didn't have anything. I always found that I, I was I was very fascinated by that, like the context of. Of that was that even though he said he didn't have anything was that he was still willing to, you know, um, provide that protection, that security, essentially, you know, because I, I didn't, I didn't ask him to, you know, but yeah. he was, he was going to. Um, so this is when I meet you. <laughs> this is when I meet Jason Sidoriak and <clears throat> walk in, and I'm like, holy shit, this guy! Uh, I was like, wow, this guy's a this guy likes to run. This guy really likes to run. Fuck, this guy can run. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So we were giving a radio class, and you found out I was French. And then uh, <laughs> I just read your name tape. Yeah, yeah. You like, oh, this guy's this guy's a French Canadian. And then you're giving a class on we're giving a class on a uh, radio etiquette. <laughs> a class on radio etiquette, and you say, "All right, so." When you're talking on the radio, you say, you is me. And then I come up and you go, viva la resistance. This is, uh, <laughs> this really? is, yeah, this is Sidoriak. And I was like, uh, this is viva la resistance. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Bovair, are you going to have a, are you going to drop your rifle twice and never fire it? There was just all these jokes, man. It was all, <laughs> it's all these jokes. I have to admit, you know, it maybe, was, maybe this is yeah. bullying. It's certainly not hazing, but the fun that <laughs> you can have out with your junior Marines <laughs> yeah. and the sarcasm, <laughs> and they just have to nod. They just nod. It's like, okay. Or, or they're already taking you seriously. Well, like, I, think, I think what happens is, is that guys that they want to exercise that on, on someone else because it was done to them. After the first two weeks go by, done and over with. Yeah. You know, they get it out of their system after the first two weeks, and then usually it's just like, yeah you know for yeah. the most part for the most part most of the, like honestly looking back yeah for after the first two weeks fucking clean our rooms bitch get over here and then like we're getting hazed with cleaning our rooms and shit and then after fucking the first two weeks go by it was nothing after that yeah. everybody's like hey your stuff looks good okay you're good you know grab yeah. a beer or whatever you know we got pt zero five tomorrow see you tomorrow morning yeah i you mean uh, most of it's harmless and, and some of it actually is a little uh, instructive like but it's fun because you, you go along with to it. go run and, and get ask the staff sergeant for the keys to the humvee yeah that's one way to learn that humvees don't have keys yeah right? <laughs> yeah or the the, the chem light batteries but you know what's funny is that even uh the 
even the army does that. Even of course. even the national guard yeah. still does that. You know where like. I remember uh, I had first joined and these guys were doing like burpees or something. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, oh, I didn't know that this was a Spartan race. Like <laughs> fucking around, you know, like joking yeah. around because they weren't in charge of me. They're like, oh, well, they, you know, they fucked up. And I was like, what happened? They're like, oh, they tried asking someone where the chem light batteries were. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, yeah. I was like, man, this shit exists here too. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. You know? Um, so during our, during our workup, that's when I first met you and, and um, we're going to Iraq. Um, it was, you know, it was a, I would say it was a traditional workup, traditional it training. Traditional. It was a traditional, yeah. traditional workup. And sure. by workup, you start at, at the small unit level and then you go to squad and then you do platoon. And it's basically building a foundation and you just move forward with each I mean, Literally thing. by Mojave yeah. Viper, you're working as a, yeah. as a whole entire battalion. Yeah. Yeah. So with, with, with Jason, he's one of my senior Marines, one of the Marines who's already been on deployment. So now he's within a leadership role, and he's utilizing his experience to pass that on to guys like me, guys that are in my platoon, right? So I'm in second platoon, and we had um, we had a certain lieutenant, lieutenant that got relieved, but um, you know our we also had a platoon. Oh, wait, you mean in country? No, no, this was. Um, oh, you're talking about. Um, yeah. and then, and then my old guy came. Yeah. Into yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He got, totally so he, forgot that guy existed. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know how he, that was, this is a dude that sat, he's an officer yeah. and he sat with not only enlisted, but boot enlisted. Um, and that's a no, no officers shouldn't no. even mingle, but he was no. talking to junior enlisted Marines about how he wished he'd joined as enlisted and he was hanging out with them as yeah. friends. It was, a, it was kind of weird because there's a distinct, we were talking about leadership on our last, my last podcast. There's a distinct relation, like leadership in general, right? Like you want to know your guys well enough so that they listen to you, but then you don't want to get to know them too well. There has to be a power dynamic. There has to be a, it's, it's about balance. You yeah. know, like you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to not know your guys. You want to show that you are concerned about them yeah. and that you're going to take into account their lives, like legit, their fucking lives. But you don't want to show them your incompetencies. And one of his, one of his things was, was lingering with <laughs> junior guys that have, that don't have very much experience. Yeah. And also long story short, he, he just, he, he got relieved. And, um, our platoon sergeant, I don't know if you want to talk about our platoon sergeant at all. Um, his name was uh, actually we probably shouldn't mention his name, but he was a very hardy individual who was like a literal father figure to me, actually. And I'm I'm actually going to write about him, I think. Um, but when I first arrived, he was there. He was one of the first. He picked us up, you know, at, at yeah. Camp Lejeune. We went across the bridge. Congratulations, you're fucking infantry marines now. Now get the fuck out of here so we can grab some new guys, and then we go and we process in and yeah he, he was, was one a of good the, example of like an old yeah. school marine yeah he was, was he was he was he was one of the just like a dirty salty dog yeah. but like yeah. totally you know experienced and wise yeah and he he understood like i think what you were mentioning is that he under he's enlisted and he's he understood and he understands the distinct relationship between you know like that that balance equation but he was a fallujah vet and this man yeah, was right. like a father to me, like legit. He was a, um, taught me a lot about just like, uh, you know, being an infantryman, but just the, the more of like the avenues of, of life. Cause I was around him a lot as a, as a, for me, 
I was a radio operator, so I would always follow the leadership around, and I would listen in on the conversations that they would have, not necessarily taking leadership role, like taking a position in leadership, but more of passing of the passing of the information. But you also hear certain things, you know, and so I would spend a lot of time next to him, you know, and I would get yelled at a lot by, <laughs> I would get yelled at by him a lot, a lot, a lot. <laughs> And when he yells, it's oh, you can God. hear you could hear it like miles away. You know, we used to call it a we used to call it a certain type of attack. You know, the uh, the the Mac attack is yeah. what, we, what we called it. And um, the workup to Iraq was it wasn't. I don't want to say it, it was it some of the most some of the coldest I had been, some of the hottest I had been was during was during that workup. You know, and I, and I think back sometimes. And I'm like, man, how the fuck did I do that stuff, you know, when I was younger? And uh, anyways, um, I remember when I heard that you had decided to go to State Platoon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I totally forgot this out. Yeah. So why, um, if you don't mind me asking, Stay is Surveillance Target Acquisition. It's basically Scout Sniper. Yeah. It's Scout Sniper Platoon. Um, what, what were some of your thoughts on why you wanted to go over there? Well, actually, in high school, when I was thinking about Marines and stuff, I always wanted to be a sniper. There was just something, you know, you're a dumb kid. There's just something really cool, sexy about snipers. Um, and I think I really didn't think about joining them until all of a sudden there was an opportunity and they were recruiting uh, from the infantry mm-hmm. uh, for people to join the team. I was like, oh, I've always wanted to be a sniper. Yeah. Uh, I was kind of the... A little bit of a designated marksman um, uh, prior to that, uh, and it just felt natural, and so I joined. Mm-hmm. And most of the, yeah, most of the time they'll come back because the older snipers are leaving. You know, the restructuring of the a, unit, yeah. yeah. So they need they need new guys. So they'll, sometimes they'll come and ask, you know, hey, do you want to come and join? Well, and but, it, it makes sense too because yeah. these people, the state teams are attached to infantry platoons and squads. And I think there's a good synergy when you have people who have deployed with those guys already to mm-hmm. then be attached again. Uh, so you, you can actually communicate. You you have some familiarity on how people work and function. Um, so I think it's, it's a good concept. You yeah, know, yeah, recruit yeah. from the, the infantry platoons that you're going to eventually be working with. Yeah, And so they run a, um indoctrination yeah, you know where even if you have, even if you've been somewhere and you've done some things, they still don't care. Yeah, you I still have that, to yeah, like remember, join the, go through a process to even be accepted to train with them. Yeah, because I remember we were we were talking about that before when we were doing a hike. You know, like they don't they, they, even if you were a squad leader before, you held a leadership yeah. position. Like you can't you can't you can't go over there thinking your shit don't yeah. stink. So you even know, past like you gotta, that yeah. in in doc, you training like you're not shit until you you become a sniper and you become a sniper by doing actual sniper school. So even if you've got one or two deployments leading up to that training, like you're still treated kind of like a boot. You have to run everywhere you go, blah, blah, blah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely kind of like it's starting up, It's like again. the, the standards are, uh, standards are a little bit higher. Yeah. Maybe, you know, the best, the Absolutely. best, the, the best of the battalion, the, the best infantrymen from the battalion yeah. and maybe like getting that school slot, you know, that's to even kinda, you to, to even, even get, get yeah, and even. even in guys that even after you've even gone through all that stuff, you know, guys, that's still one of the hardest schools, 
You know, I think like yep. there's a, there's an attrition rate. They say most, most of the guys, um, I've actually talked to a couple my, um, army buddies when I was down in uh, defense information school, there was a army, um, so our, our class leader, he was a staff sergeant and, uh, his first name's Ashley. I love him. He's a great guy. Um, but, uh, he's like, yeah, my name's Ashley. It's like, no, my name's not Ashley. He's like, pulls out his license, calls his mom. He's like, hey mom. He's like, hey <laughs> Ashley. He's like, <laughs> um, good, good guy. But yeah, that was one of the things that he said that he failed on was the stalking portion of sniper school that's like one of the hardest things you know so it's when you get yeah. yeah so when you get guys that go through sniper school and they graduate it's kind of like you know that's a that's a pretty big accomplishment you know just just from and the school e- and itself. even now i know guys that have um passed sniper school and the next deployment they're not the the, the team leader they're not mm. the one on the gun yeah so they're not even like your typical sniper they're which is fine like you you want mm-hmm. someone who's sniper uh trained like it's just because i don't i don't i don't have very much experience understanding the way the, the yeah the way the, the platoon works but it's still like yeah. a, it's a very small culture that is very hierarchical yeah yeah because i remember when we were in afghanistan it was like the snipers were kind of like their own yep they were their own entity because they would well i mean on. you think you think about it as like you know how pilots fly aircraft yeah but then you have the sure. the maintenance the maintenance guys like the pilot is supposed to just focus on flying. He's not supposed to be fucking, you know, oh, that, oh, sir, it's pulling a little bit to the left or right. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. You know, like the snipers specifically focus on just sniper things, you know, like you, like they're, 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 yeah, they're a severe asset to the company commander. You know, if, if they're operating at that level or the battalion level, whatever, they're a very severe asset Mm -hmm. to that. So when they're training, you know, they need to conduct their own training, you know, like if, yeah, they might, they might yeah, integrate it's very with, specialized. you know, yeah, they yeah. might integrate with a, with a company or so, you know, or they'll work alongside something, but yeah. they're inherent, they're, they're their own kind of like their own entity, their own breed, sure. essentially, you know? Um, so we do the work up to Iraq and we get to, uh, I think it's like at this point, uh, you know, it's maybe, what is it? Oh, nine. Is it 09? It's, yeah, I think yeah, it's 09. We deployed in 09. Yeah, we deployed in 09, and everybody's like, all right, you know, we're going to Iraq. But we didn't know if we were going to Iraq or Afghanistan at this point. Yeah, because that was our, up in there. Yeah, because it's all coming back. Like, I'm doing this as, like, as we go, because there's a lot to remember. I think um, it was either us or 3-8 yeah. to go to Afghanistan. I think 3-8 yeah. ended up going. Yeah, so 3-8 took our spot. And I remember reading an article about one um, eight about trying to polish our skills, because, again— you know, maybe maybe they did know where we were going like seven months before or whatever, but they were still kind of like, that, yeah. I, I think that too, that they did know, but they just... Everyone's on their edge of their seat. Yeah, like, which oh, it, it could, could change. Yeah, yeah, it can change. And, you know, they say that to us to kind of like maybe to keep us, keep our heads kind of in the game. Um, yeah. So we went, we went to Iraq. We were slated for Iraq, but... Like everybody in our minds were like, hey, everyone wants to go Afghanistan. Dude, everybody wanted Especially to go to Afghanistan. At this, this point in the wars yeah. is the wild, wild west, though. Yeah, because we were we were retrograding from Iraq, and we had heard that going to Iraq, it was gonna we were gonna be split in two in two teams. Like the battalion's gonna be split in two, in two different and, bases. Yeah, so we're gonna be providing security for Al Takedum and Al Assad, mm-hmm. and um, it. What were your some? What were some of your first uh, thoughts about our mission? God, please no. Yeah, I've were been you? to TQ. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard enough being there for two weeks, but for a deployment, 
That's boring. Yeah, yeah. It <laughs> Some was. people wanted it. Some dude, people well, were like, I don't want to die. I want to like just chill out well, and have my internet. Dude, I wanted, uh, that's, that was, you know, me being a new guy, you know, I was like, man, we should have gone to, I was like, we should have gone to uh, Afghanistan. I remember Captain Stefan came to the fucking, uh, he came to the motor pool one time. He says, he's like, how's it going, Bover? I was like, good, sir. You know, and he's just like, what's, what's up? And I was like, well, you know, I was like, I think we should have, uh, I was like, I think we should have gone to Afghanistan, sir. And he's like, well, Bover, you know, no matter where you go, you're always going to have that fucking thought. He's yeah. like, he's like, this There's is plenty of people yeah. are going to Afghanistan yeah. now being like, damn, I wish I was in Syria. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So he was, he was talking about, you know, like how important he's a he's fucking, he's, he's an officer, you know, he's going to yeah. say, he's going to say what he has to say. But I think you could kind of pick up on him that he wishes it was kind of a similar thing for him. Sure. You know, Captain Stefan was his fucking CrossFit beast, man. Holy shit. I remember the, I remember the CrossFit workouts he used to do and, um, yeah. we used to see him work out and he would be like, we used to joke around like him being so physically fit. Um, but when we were in TQ, basically the mission was that we had was we're going to alpha and Charlie company are in TQ. And then I think weapons company and Bravo were at another base called Al Assad and they're providing, um, security over there. And so these are just routine patrols that we're doing security patrols. And there's different types of, um, it's been a while, different types of, there's different types of patrols, security patrols, combat patrols, whatever, um, this is so. This yeah. is the point of the drawdown where the order was um, to start bringing forces mm. all throughout Iraq, uh, out of the forward bases into the major bases. Yeah, um, and that we would basically do nothing in the cities. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so, if we did go out on patrol, it was simply to show that we exist yeah to the like people. to because these are assist. large bases and there's like almost no one who lives around especially outside i don't think there's one town that's around no outside there's nothing there um, yeah. it's just all fucking that it's all we that had at, uh, to Kadam. yeah um, well, well when we were there um that same that same um 11 bravo uh guy that i was talking about mm-hmm. he was in habania and he was around he yeah. was there i think in 07 08 or maybe he was actually there the same time we were and i mentioned to him i was like yeah i was a, i was like yeah i was a I was around Habania. He's like, what? I was like, yeah, I was around Habania in in uh, in '09 when we were retrograding from Iraq to in in surging up for the push into Afghanistan. And he was like, oh, well, interesting. He's like, yeah, I was in that same area. And it was a uh, kind of like a small world. I was like, remember that uh, that what the fuck's it um that tourist tourist village or whatever the fuck it was called? He's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, I remember that. I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah we used to we used to do our used to do our patrols and circle around that that little uh, turnaround spot there and yeah um lake habania and you know yeah we just basically fucking would talk with the with the locals and they already had everything it, it to me it's, you you want to know what it seemed like to me it se- it to me it seemed like everything had already been done that could be done at that point well remember the intel we were getting from the people we were talking to um they would call the insurgents ghosts hmm. and they were literally waiting for us to pull out yeah cuz they were like as soon as the military pulls out we're coming back. There's no point in fighting now. We know the U.S. is going to pull out sooner or later. And what's the point? You know? Why waste the resources when we when and then look what happened? Yeah, and those yeah, yeah and and it did happen. It happened exactly like that. Yeah, Oman it, fell it, to ISIS. Yep. As soon as we we pulled out, I'm not saying whether or not we should have pulled out. Yeah, this but is that's, we, a, that's but we, that's but that's yeah that's the that's we were the, there for those yeah. conversations. Yeah, uh, and that's why nothing was really going on is because everything um, everything had already been done. So we're yeah, yeah. So we're just so like you said, it was a it was a 
I remember sitting in the chow hall after coming back from the gym and I was like, man, what the fuck am like just having this like existential crisis with myself. I'm like, dude, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, yeah. I'm like watching, you know, the, the guys from three, eight, when they came back, I was, I would talk to a couple of them and they're like, yeah, man, like we were joking about, you know, like, Hey, maybe I might make it on time magazine this week, you know? And it's like, yeah, I'm eating a fucking sandwich in the chow hall and TQ after I just, you know, deadlifted fucking how much or you know whatever and that was i think a lot of guys some 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 did some didn't some other guys had already done their their first deployment and then to us you know the younger guys we have we have that we have that hunger where we're like dude we want to we want to fucking we want to a little bit more yeah we want to do this and then when or we want to like get some, you know, whatever. We just we want we want to have that kind of like as a as a as an accolade in regard to our um our stat like well, just you, just as a there's a always status, and you know? we talked about this before yeah. hiking. There's there's always something else that can be a higher status. Yeah, you know the way we we frame it infantry over pogues and then if you're in the infantry that doesn't matter have you done a deployment? Oh, you've done a deployment. Have you even seen combat? Have yeah. you seen like and the guys. There's people in the world that know this is all bullshit. Ask yeah. a Fallujah Marine. Even, Does it really um, fucking matter? Even, even, even in that show, Generation Kill, yeah. there's a major who calls in an airstrike, and the lieutenant goes up to him. He's like, sir, there's no rocket team. What are you doing? Yeah. He's like, what are you doing? Why are yeah, you, why right. are you trying to call contact? Try he's like, because he's, he's, well, yeah. he's trying to get a combat action ribbon yeah. to go about it the wrong way, whereas, like, other guys, you know, like, I know some guys that came to the unit that I had talked to and they were like, dude, I, I, I got my combat action ribbon. Like I got shot and that's how I got mine. And then guys are getting theirs for, there was one, there was one corpsman we had not going to say any names, but there was a mm-hmm. corpsman that I had heard from, from one of the platoons. Cause what happened when I came back from Iraq was I, again, I had, I was an RO, I was a radio operator. So I spent a lot of time next to the leadership because I would, I would media, I would transfer information. I'm relaying information, and so whenever our first sergeant would come on patrol, he would always sit in the back of my truck for some. Because if something went wrong, yeah, my platoon sergeant knew that I could fix it right then and there. Yeah. So the first sergeant's going to ride with the platoon sergeant, and so the radio died one time or it lost timing, and so <laughs> the other RO fucked it up or something. The other RO, you know who I'm talking about, the. The, yeah. the other RO um, had fucked it up, and so I fixed it. And the first sergeant saw that and was like, "Oh, this is this is a smart guy right here." And then I was like, "I was like, <laughs> I'm just doing my job." And then he was like, "Oh, I want him to be. I want him to come to headquarters." Mm-hmm. So then I, I get moved to fucking headquarters that way because mm-hmm. it was just the the place and time I was at and the job I was I was doing. Yeah, and I got fucking frustrated because of that. I fucking to this day it's still like impacts me you know yeah um but whatever um it happened so he i moved to headquarters platoon and we're in now we're moving to afghanistan what were we talking about before well you oh know, the, one the, thing the, that the, i want to the, touch on with takeda i i there's a lot of little things that happened there that were pretty impactful. there was some most of it was dumb shit that marines were doing to each other yes but yes yes there is one instance that i always forget about and sometimes it will hit me mm-hmm. um 
so my my squad was one of the squads that responded to the suicide bomb. Yeah, I was um, in Habania. Were you mm, on that? I wasn't. They basically had there was nineteen because I think first sergeant wanted to go on that. Yeah, in the QRF section, and there was Master Sergeant Lopez who came over. And, there was a shit show about trying to get out there. Yeah, so everybody's rushing, and then. Our platoon sergeant says he's already dead. There's no fucking reason to yeah. to rush out there. So everybody and their fucking mothers responding to this. Um, but I didn't go out on that. I was yeah. the only one that stayed behind. Yeah, because fucking some 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 uh, because again going back to yeah, that thing, yeah. the leadership wanted to. Oh my god, fucking something's going on. So they took my seat. They gave it to someone else, and yeah. then fucking I stayed back. Yeah, because I mean they actually didn't. Really, I think there's maybe two squads that went out. I, we were the first squad. Um, there really wasn't much to respond to because it was just a street full of body parts. Yeah. Um, but there has actually been one point in my life where I have, I think I was coming from a bar and I stepped out on the parking lot and all of a sudden I get this weird feeling. Mm. And I'm not saying like it was like this weird Vietnam flashback where I saw body parts all over the ground, but it, I had this sensation that brought me back to that moment. And I I never really think about that. I never really think about Dude, that. I don't. I don't responding to mm. that um, suicide bomber. But there are times when the things that you sort of maybe even repress, something just reminds just you reminds of you of it, and you're like, fuck. That happened Dude, I was, when I was a kid that was surrounded by the... This. Do, you, do you think about... Think, I was 19 years old when that happened. You know, you know the thing I is, yeah. Ni- I was 19 in, years old. In hindsight, old. I'm like, yeah. wow. What I'm a, like, dude, holy shit. Kid. I was 19 years old when that... I remember because we left in March to go to Iraq and I was still yeah. 19. I turned 20. I turned 20 when I was in Iraq. And I remember that suicide bomber thing because um, someone, t- <laughs> someone had taken pictures of it. And then, you know, we're not supposed to fucking take pictures yeah, of I it. Know and did. so yeah, yeah. that individual ended up disseminating those pictures to everybody to show them. And then that was kind of like our, our first, our first thing, kind of like, Hey, you know, this is, there's some guys that like, if, in, even in the movie or even in the series, the Pacific, there are some guys that are so far from their own humanity that maybe it'll hit them twice as hard when they separate, you know, sure. it, like what, what would seem normal to like, we know that this is fucked up. You yeah. know, like we know that this is fucked up, well, it's, but it's like some other guys just don't, they don't acknowledge it as fast as what someone else will, yeah. you know, at, at that, at that, that progress or that whatever, you know, and even when we got to Afghanistan, um, one of the first things, um, we did was, uh, I remember there was a similar thing with Afghanistan was, it was like this guy, uh, is trying to clean out one of the back of the seven tons. And the guy looks up at me and he kicks out a couple fucking body parts. And he goes, yeah, sorry, man. He's like, just had to make sure that this thing was clean. There's a bunch of fucking, a bunch of fucking body parts, dead, dead uh, Taliban that had set up their bomb and it blew up. So they went out and they've recovered their body parts and they put it in the back of the seven ton. Hmm. No bags, nothing. Just fucking threw the body parts in the back. So the guy comes over, he's kicking out the fucking body parts. Well, at least put in an empty MRE box. Dude, that's what I was like. I was like, I was like, what the fuck? And then this guy, like, we're, we're our leadership's coming in because we're doing the rip. The guy just comes over. He, like, fingers and fucking hands or whatever. Guy just comes over, starts kicking out all these fucking body parts out of the back of it. And you go, oh, sorry, man. Yeah, dude, just had to make sure that this thing was clean. I just cleaned the blood out of the back of this thing. A bunch of fucking Taliban tried killing us with an IED and they blew themselves up. So just, 
fucking kicking out some fingers and, and dude i'm 20 years old jeez you know like yeah, yeah. to think to think i mean you know to think about like how young we were you know it's like it's pretty crazy yeah what the fuck dude like yeah holy shit you know that's uh yeah so we get back from iraq right and you are done you can go home yeah and i want to i i know i i know you're not going to fucking tout this but I'm going to toot your horn here for a quick second. You're done. Done. You can, you can, you can go home, but for whatever reason you decide not to, you, you've done your two deployments, you've done your four years and most Marines see two deployments. When I was in the national guard checking in, not checking in, but I was trying to get, I was showing them my SRB. One of the army S one girls looked at me. She's two deployments in two years. What the fuck? Hmm. And I was like, yeah she's like that's not normal i'm like what do you mean that's not normal that's normal for us Hmm. she goes two deployments in two years she's like that's a lot and i was like oh well that's typical for marines i guess and uh so she fucking yeah she processed me in but that's what most marines do is two deployments in two years but four years for yeah for you you decided not to not to get out yeah. And what was some of your, what, what, what was kind of the, the decision you made to, to extend? So you didn't re-enlist, but you extended to go to Afghanistan. Yeah. What was, you want to talk me through kind of like why, what the, the decisions you decided to extend for? Well, I don't know if, if, if this was an abnormal makeup, but the makeup of our, at least platoon, but I even think for the company was that there was certainly a lot more senior Marines than junior Marines that are all leaving when I was leaving. Um, so my cohort was about to go and a couple of us senior Marines, um, realized that's not a good thing because we do know we are going to Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So not only is at this, the, at this point, we know for a fact we knew that for we a are fact. going. Yeah. Um, usually, you know, actually like by the time you're leaving yeah. the, uh, the first, the place yeah. before, but, right? but for us, for us, when we went to Iraq, it was still kind of yeah. like we were still, it was still that gray area, but sure. this time we know, fucking no shit hey we're going to afghanistan yeah. there's a surge this is the mission and what we're going to be doing and, and so whatnot. so not only was this the first time that our unit was going to afghanistan um but basically the makeup of those who would be going on this deployment was only people that were on that that altercatum deployment mm-hmm. so people like i didn't see too much in iraq in my opinion um definitely saw a lot more than that second deployment of mine um but I just felt like the experience that was going to Afghanistan was lacking. Um, not to say that our guys weren't good, um, but it was just unfair for them to have to be in such a intense situation because Afghanistan was still a, it's, wild, it's very, wild It's very kinetic. It was very kinetic and yeah. dynamic at that point still. you know. And in our opinions, we felt like there could be more casualties than there should be. Um, unless they had some additional experience of um, people who are actually on the ground, people who are actually doing day-to-day patrols with the community and living with the community. Because even in this second, my second deployment in Al-Takedam, we're living in context boxes amongst ourselves, surrounded by Marines and other U.S. military members. This is going to be another deployment like my first one where you were going to be living with um, the local nationals amongst their compound 
highly dangerous. I mean, you hear about all the, you know, know, it's, it's, it's very, it's very hard sometimes to trust the Afghans because you don't know. Yeah. It's always, it's always an air of mystery because of where they come from and kind of their, sometimes they'll just completely desert and go to the fucking Taliban. Sometimes we had, we had occurrences of that where we wouldn't, I shouldn't, we didn't mention this to the platoons, but some guys that were interpreters just fucking vanished. Yeah. And they left and then they just went and that was it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So this, the experience of being able to work with the local population was significantly lacking from the cohort that was going to go to Afghanistan. So um, we felt like that could lead to some more, some casualties mm-hmm. that weren't needed. Not that casualties are ever needed. Um and so we decided we should go. Like, we have a responsibility to take care of the guys that we've been training this whole entire time. Um, we should go and and serve with them. And so uh, we went to command. We we asked to extend. And there was a very weird moment in the history of the Marine Corps, which rarely happens. They were actually closing out infantry, which means they were no longer recruiting people for the infantry for this cycle. Um, really? Yeah. So we had to actually huh. make a like a contract that if we extended, um, because we were part of this cycle, um, we could not reenlist. So after that extension, we would had you, to would leave. You, do you think you would have reenlisted? Um, I, I think mean, I would I know, have gone I know officer. We, I know we still, I know we still have a lot sure. to cover. But would you, would you have potentially think you if you had the option? I think my wife at the time would kill me, uh, but. If I was going to stay in, in the Marine Corps, I would go officer, which was still an option. Yeah, I yeah. just could not reenlist as an 0311. Got you. Okay. Um, Dude, that I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize. Yeah. I so no everyone idea. who did that extension, that was it for their 0311 careers. Or even even some of the even some of the snipers that because I know some of the snipers specifically extended because some of them all of them had just been to Iraq. Yeah. Huh. Uh, I don't think they were under the same contract. I wonder, I, I, you know, I'd like, def- I, 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 like it was, I wonder, like they I wonder, made it a big I wonder deal yeah, I wonder now though, you know, I wonder, hmm, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, I mean, we were, we were huh. giving up, a giving up a lot, you know, some yeah. of these people, if they were convinced like, okay, maybe I should stay in, they would have hmm. to change an MOS or go they'd have to They'd have to laterally move or cross yeah. deck to a different and job. Maybe, maybe even out of the infantry. Because yeah. it was, it wasn't just 0311. Dude, what, a, what, a, what a mind fuck that would be too, though. Yeah. Cause you know, like you're, yeah. 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 So it, it, it got approved. Um, some guys did actually reenlist, um, like Matt, he reenlisted. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, then that was it going to Afghanistan. So we did the similar thing. You know, we had, we had new guys, um, went through kind of the same, same, Another workup, you know, another, another, but I think there training. was an emphasis on yeah. combat this time around. Yeah. I think, I think that this, this go around, it was more, we were, we were preparing for yeah. that. Like at least, at least the energy of what it seemed because I wasn't around the platoons a lot this time. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was, I was in fucking the, 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 my mentality behind my predicament was that I went to Scott and I talked to, talked to Scott and I was like, Hey man, like I don't want to fucking be in this position. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, dude, like you got to sacrifice some shit. Sure. He's like either. And I, and I always found that through my fucking military career. I always found that weird. Was that like, 
people would say to me, they're like, dude, Josh, you're too smart for the infantry. Like, why the fuck are you here? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I fuck up a lot, <laughs> you know, like I fuck up a lot. They're like, but you're too, like, I feel like you could have contributed more mentally or, sure. you know, you're smart in other areas. Even Matt was like, dude, you're one of the dumbest smart people I've ever met. And I, I was think. like, I've heard him say that like, a few times. I was like, I was like, I don't really, I don't really know how to process that. I've been being, I've been accused my whole life of being stupid and smart, but you know, whatever. Um, so his, his take on it was that you're doing this job to prevent someone else from doing this job, just to summarize. So we just wanted to make yeah. sure that they had, yeah, but the dude, right dude, resources dude, going in. But dude, right. it was fucking tough, man, for me, because sure. I wanted to fucking be back. And I was taken from an infantry platoon, and I was put in a headquarters platoon, which is a support role, more of a support role. And it was always difficult seeing this from an observer's point of view. You know, you're an observer more than you are actually yeah, interacting yeah. or interfacing with what's going on in front of you. You know, there's a there's a filter of what takes place where you're looking at it through a computer screen or he said, she said type stuff of what is actually going on. Sure. So I didn't, I wish that I would have, I, I wish it wouldn't have happened that way yeah, for me. Of course. But it's how it happened. And so when we were leaving to go to Afghanistan, um, the same kid I graduated high school with, um, who was providing me a lot of context to what was going on. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, he returned, he left the night we graduated high school mm -hmm. and his name was Philip Charity. And the night we graduated high school, he left to go join the infantry. He was the only other Marine in my entire class, my entire school that was joining the Marines, me and him. I mean, other people were, yeah, but me and him were like the getting back to, you know, infantry, whatever, we yeah. separate ourselves. And, uh, I remember when we had left September 6th, you know, we did the workup and like you said, there was a different energy to what we were doing. Like, Hey, you know, this is fucking, this is real. And even when, right before we left, some guys had actually done the whole, like, you know, when you miss a movement, how you get a few guys that are like, you know, uh, what is it? Um, what's that? where they object, uh, what is it? Conscientious objectors. Yeah. yeah. You've got guys that are, are, you know, hurting themselves. Other people are just they're trying to get up. out. They're yeah. trying to get out because it's like fucking no shit. Hey, we're going. And my mentality was like, fuck it, dude. Like, let's go, mm -hmm. you know, let's go. And like, I don't even really remember if I was scared. I just remember like not feeling anything. I was like, we're going, you mm -hmm. know, because it was the guy to the left and right of me, you know, sure. as sappy as that sounds and shit. Um, it's really what it was about. Like, I didn't want to let them down. Yeah. You know? And, um, so we left for our movement September 6th. And I remember, uh, I remember like kind of the family's getting a taste of like what it was going to be like. Cause, uh, a Mac attack happened where he's all right, guys, time to get on the bus, get the fuck on the bus. And then all the families are like, what the fuck? Yeah. What just happened? Like in front of yeah. everyone. And I was like, I was like, yeah, that was, that was pretty good. Um, but we left September 6th and then, we were in uh, Manas, Kyrgyzstan, which is a staging point before you go into Afghanistan. Uh, everybody's walking around and they're saying, hey, did you just hear that guy that just got shot by a sniper? Yeah. And uh, that was Philip Charty. Really? Yeah. Damn, dude. Yeah. So that was that, that guy that everybody was saying, hey, did you just hear about that guy that got shot by a sniper? That was him. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. He was, he was, he, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a large world, yeah. but it's so small. 
you know? And so like, even before we left for Afghanistan and I'm being taken out of this role where I can't be in an infantry platoon because I'm, I'm being put in this other role, there was a lot of animosity that I had like just towards the world. And so like when I arrived before even getting in Afghanistan, it's like, Hey, this kid, I went to high school, like Philip Charty, who I knew who was mm-hmm. like giving me advice before I go into the Marines. This is what boot camp's going to be like and having like a heart to heart. Next thing I know I'm, I'm in Afghanistan and he was killed. It really solidifies yeah. the stakes. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, from, from a literary context, it's foreshadowing of like something that is going to happen before it, it just, it was the the precursor of what was going to happen on that deployment. Kind of like, hey, this is fucking real. Yeah. You know, and I really wish that it didn't happen at all. Yeah. Um, but that was my initial kind of like pers- something really personal sure. to me going into Afghanistan that I was like, wow, this is like, what the fuck? Like, how the fuck? This is, it, real, it, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't, it, it like it, it, it's almost a complete fallacy. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not real, you know? And I remember, um, talking to Davis when we were getting ready to go in, he's like, well, all right, we're going into Afghanistan. He's like, <sighs> he's like, yeah, we're probably going to get shot at leaving the helo. Like everybody's just got all these ideas of what's going to take place. And like when we're in Camp Leatherneck, you know, I walk into, because I was with the first sergeant, I walk into this fucking, I walk into the COC and he's like, he's, he's a, he's a he had to be a hard man at the time um, for his, for his, you know who our first sergeant was. He had to be, yeah. he had to be hard for who I like he was. I like that first sergeant. Yeah. That's um, you know, I had some animus towards him for certain reasons. Um, it was more of like just behind the curtain stuff. I don't sure, want to, sure. I don't want to bore you with it, but yeah. we walked into the COC and the radio is blaring yeah. and you just hear these guys screaming over the radio and they're like, we need an immediate high Mars right now. A high Mars is a, is a, yeah. is a it's a, it's a artillery rocket that shoots and it's got this distance. It's got like a kill radius. Of a, accurate, yeah. yeah. It's very accurate. And that was a unit I was in, in the, in the army it was a high Mars oh, really? unit. Yeah. So, uh, he's screaming over the radio for like a high Mars and we haven't even gone to our area where we're going yet. You know, so there's, there's, yeah. there's this buildup of like, there's yeah. all this like buildup of like, wow, this is, this is real, you know? Yeah. And, well, I mean, I remember being yeah. leatherneck at our tents, um, and hearing the high Mars going off yeah. and people being like, yeah, that's three, five. And I was yeah. like, yeah, this is going to be very different than, yeah. uh, Iraq. Yeah, totally. And, uh, so you guys, I know what's a lot different, um, for you guys that were down South. So for the makeup. Jason was part of second platoon. Um, and he was down South in a place called Dahana. 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 Called Um, police station. Yeah. Police station. Third platoon was up North. So the stories between what Jason is going to talk about is going to be different than like what the guys from third platoon, you know, up North or because our battle space that we had was, dude, we, we were, we were, it was, so Charlie company, we were out West by ourselves in a place called Nauzad, Afghanistan. Which is in Helmand Province. Yep, Helmand Province. And the rest of the battalion is out east in a place called Musakala. Now, we've we've only got a few hundred guys to cover a battle space that's meant for a battalion. So we've got yeah. a lot of area to cover and we've we've we're we're hurting for bodies, you know. Um so if one person like God forbid gets hurt or injured, that that's gonna put that much more strain yeah. on on that unit, you know, and 
you know, seeing first platoon, some of the guys that went out with first platoon with the rotations that they were doing just for their watches, you know, one person would get, would run over an ID. They'd have to go back, you know, do all the stuff out at, um, you know, camp led the neck and then come back. I know that a couple of guys got injured and it just, it, it, Doc got shot in the ass. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. That's yeah, a, doc too. Yeah, that's yeah. a valuable person. Yeah. That's a very valuable person, you know, and it should just take them out of rotation. It just throws a, a spokes into everything. So what were your, what were some of your initial things that you were, you know, like processing when you were getting ready to go to Afghanistan? No, if I did much processing, uh, I mean, I, I knew, like I said, Wild Wild West, I mean, I knew it was going to be very different from the other two deployments. Um, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't think you, yeah, I, I had a wife at that time, unlike uh, mm-hmm. before, so I think it was just a little bit more, it felt a little bit more serious. Uh, but I, at that point in my, my time in the Marines, was never more confident in myself mm-hmm. and what I, in my abilities and my leadership abilities, not to like tell my own horn, but I was feeling really good. Um, and I only say this because eventually I lose all that Yeah, <laughs> when yeah. I get wounded. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just felt really high up and then I went, went down. Um, but you know, you're talking about people making assumptions of what it's like once you get boots on the deck. Literally, first day when we met, went into police station, we had rockets thrown at us into the compound. <laughs> so it was like that. It was like yeah. almost, you know, Holy get shit. off the like, helicopter yeah. and rounds are pinging around like you see in the movies. Well, because they know they they know that that you know from what they knew there was a lot of well, people in that well, compound. Well, yeah. Well, like a couple, a couple of what yeah. the a couple of what the radio we had a we had a radio um, intercept team attached to us where they would listen they, in on yeah. the on the Taliban and you know they had they would notify the CO and these guys knew obviously they know that we're rotating out every seven months. And yeah. so, you know, they want to fucking get their you know, they want to get their get their licks know, in. Yeah, they want to get their they want to they want to They also want to test they, too. They want to test they and they also now. want to uh what's the word? They want to they want to get their um their moment. You know, their moment of oh hey we killed fucking this many Americans or you sure. Know, whatever. And it's about they suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it came but, pretty um, fucking close. Yeah. But the thing about Helmand where we were walking into was before we were there, it was a stalemate with the British. Yeah. And so the Americans had been here, the units before us that were there, they had done a, uh, it was called the ba- battle of Nazad, whatever the units yeah. before us had actually taken these places up North called Sofla. And then down at police station where you guys were down at Dahana mm-hmm. and, there was just, it, it was the most mined area of Afghanistan from when the Soviets were there. So there's a lot of tried and there's a lot of tried history at this place. I remember Tank Circle where there's a, a clear fucking RPG hole where the so, the Soviet tank back in the 80s was, or excuse me, back in the 70s was there. It was just rolling through the center of town and now these people just use it as like a toilet. Yeah, there's a lot. You know? of, yeah. yeah, there was a, a lot, lot of Soviet relics from, relics, from yeah. the, the, uh, the previous wars. And so, you know, when you're in this environment where it's like, wow, there's a lot of like... There's a, these these people have been Three dealing with this. Empires. Yeah, yeah. These yeah. people have been dealing with this for generations. Yeah. You know, and um, so the first day you get there, it starts it starts popping off. Yeah, well, been, the unit before us, for some reason, they didn't really get into any firefights. Hmm. Uh, very different from what we experienced, where we had a lot of firefights. Um, but for some reason, they're just like, yeah, let's 
let's actually fight this time. Uh, but it was so it was funny. You just get that late after like someone after you just you just get so acclimated to it. You're like, oh, they're shooting. Well, at these again. these kids are. Well, yeah. yeah honestly, <laughs> we were acclimated by it. Yeah. Um, but these kids that we were ripping with, it was really funny. The first rocket hits and fills the compound up with smoke. And I remember their dock is like your typical like goofy um, dock because they're all goofy and dirty. He, <laughs> I just like he emerges from the smoke and he's like. I gotta get the fuck out of here, because <laughs> um, they've actually never seen anything like yeah. this. Um, and then I remember as we were trying to get up to the roof to get guys on the roof, another rocket went in between two guys. Oh shit! Yeah, it was, it was between uh, how do you pronounce his name? Mercurio. Mercurio. And, yeah, yeah. And then it was, someone else I can't remember. Literally between them as oh, they're setting, fuck, getting dude. to the post. Oh shit. Um, and yeah, it was only our guys running up to the roof. Oh, shit. Uh, and I mean, they had their guys on post already, but like we were gung ho. Uh, I remember. Well, see, I, I think that that's like what you were talking about is the difference in the way, the, yeah. specifically Second Platoon. I noticed the way Second Platoon kind of carried themselves. Yeah. I don't know. I know a couple of the guys that were there that kind of ran that platoon. Yeah. Especially yeah. you know a couple of the a couple one of my old squad leaders and mm-hmm. you know one of the, a couple of the other guys that they had got so used to having our previous platoon sergeant and his standards yeah you know maybe that was maybe that was part of you know that that experience that you brought you know from iraq and and all those those different different places you know like yeah and i mean there's still you know guys a couple of guys like me and matt they were trained by fallujah guys Mm. and we we were trying to uphold to the standards and and their expectations to the to the end yeah um, it's 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 interesting seeing how that kind of trickles down through you know through uh yeah, as it should be through yeah and that's the reason why history is so um you know praised and, and cherished in the marine corps it's not just to for a circle jerk it's because there's an you can apply it right yeah. um but yeah so i mean those guys that we worked with they just they're literally supposed to leave that day. Now they're thinking that maybe they're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> I don't blame them. Yeah. Not want to have yeah. a part with that. Uh, but I mean, with that being said, it was my squad that was going to go out and chase these mm-hmm. guys. Uh, and I remember not really being prepared. I'm literally getting my, my gear on. I was just throwing a designated marksman rifle, uh, the Mark 11. Cause I think the 12 is seven, six, two. I think so. Yeah. The Mark is five, five, six. Yeah. Um, and I just pulled out, you know, you like little, uh, what do they call the, the waterproof notepad things? Uh, I, right in the rain. Right, right in the, the rain. rain. Yeah. Tiny little notepad. And I literally, I write a letter to my, my wife at the time. Mm-hmm. Cause I think like I could easily die chasing these fucking yeah. guys. Yeah. I just put it in my pocket. And that was just a weird experience. Like, it was. I'm, I'm writing my like death letter in like two seconds, not to get out. Luckily we sent the Afghans after that. <laughs> Cause like, yeah, let's send this squad that's literally not even done one patrol yeah. to go chase these fuckers. So yeah. we didn't have to go chase them, but yeah. it was a very bizarre feeling to just like pull out. You're in, you're in, you're like from zero to 100 real quick. Yeah. You yeah. know? And so that was kind of like your indoctrination into like the, was this like, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know you had your deployment to your first deployment to Iraq second deployment to Iraq, but was this kind of like for you the first time that this was like, was this different than this Iraq? Straight than- up combat. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it set the standard in, in such a way, um, 
that I knew I had to conduct myself differently than those other deployments, especially when it came to engaging the people. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of me sort of regrets that, but you know, you you become wise and you 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 sort of kind of figure out where to best allocate your time. And so for me, it was less coin ops. Let's get to know the people, create a rapport, and it was more like let's go f- to the fight. What were some of the what were one of the some of the big differences you noticed between Iraq and Afghanistan? Well, so the big difference with Iraq and Afghanistan is a sense of community and culture that's shared. In Iraq, it was a very nationalistic uh, culture that's shared. Everyone was like, hey, we've been through war. Now it's time to come together and, and fix our country, bring it back together, rebuild it. In Afghanistan, very tribal. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's I, less I, like, let's fix, fix Afghanistan and more like, village here, village here, village here. We don't want to do, have anything to do with each other. I attributed that some of like, it seemed like the Afghans had like a more of a warrior mentality. Yeah. This some, is something again, very again, cultural. Yeah. Again, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to take away anything that anybody in Iraq did. You know what I mean? It just seemed that, like you said, the tribal mentality where these people have been experiencing this for fucking generations. Like sure, you sure. said, the graveyard of empires and like compared to the Iraqis. But they're also we, ran by warlords yeah, rather yeah, than like yeah. a cohesive, yeah. you know, Saddam, terrible um a dictator but they had but they had cohesive yeah unit, they right, had some the they part. had some western influence where there was some form of like d- diplomatic stuff going on in not diplomatic um fucking phone they had some they understood that there were western nations did i ever tell you the 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 i told you the story about how the guy wanted to grab the mouse out of our out of our UAV that we had because he thought that we were training mice to fly planes. No, what? I never told you about this. Oh, no. so just to these, these people that showed up thought we were Soviets because that yeah, was their they, experience. They, they have no idea that nine 11 happened. They yeah. have no idea who we are as people. They just see us. And when we go out on patrol, we're not allowed to wear an American flag because it shows us as an occupying force. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be, it's, it's a economy of force mission where we're supposed to here to build up their infrastructure, build up, you know, they're, they're people or, you know, allow them to be self-sufficient essentially and, and kill Taliban, and kill the Qaeda. Taliban. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Keep it, yeah. yeah. So, um, there was a local where we, we, we walk in, we open up a Connex box, we find a fucking Mark 19 in a Connex box. And we were like, what the fuck? Just a, a Mark 19 with all the mounts inside of a con like, in, like the triwall, not, not like there's, there's the Connex box, yeah. you know, with triwalls inside of it. We open it. We're like, we can't move this damn thing. We're like, why the fuck is this thing so heavy? Open it. It's a fucking Mark 19 with rounds all surrounded by it. And we're like, jeez, it's completely unaccounted for. We're like, yeah. what the fuck? Why, why the hell is this here? The CO was very angry. I'm sure. And I'm sure. it wasn't at us. We were just, we were just conducting like we, we, the unit, the other unit had already left. And he's like, hey, I want you guys to kind of like get accountability of yeah. all this stuff. Cause there's just, there's fucking shit everywhere. So we're like, all right, let's try and. Company Gunny sends out a thing. Hey, let's let's try and condense and consolidate all of our stuff. We open up a trial. We'll find a fucking Mark 19 just chilling in there. We open up the next one. We find this Raven UAV. And me oh, and Raven, my yeah. counterpart had gone to the Raven course. And we try flying it. Long story short, the thing falls, fucking falls over the Always. LZ. So they send out a patrol to try and go retrieve it. And then they talk to the local. And the guy's like, yeah, I want the mouse out of the plane. We're like, what? The guy's like, yeah, I want the mouse you guys... Yeah. Got in this plane. The guy thought that we had trained mice to 
fly these these planes yeah right we've got the best right? damn mice in the Dude, world the best mice <laughs> but that was his that was his reasoning was that he thought that we had trained mice that's weird to fly Very planes bizarre. because it didn't exist in his mind that there was such a thing as like wireless technology i believe that yeah yeah so he just thought that it was a mouse and he was like he's dragging it with his tractor the uav like trying to preserve it and he's like i just want to be sure the yeah. mouse inside is okay yeah i mean and it's let's say all afghans are, are like that because obviously there are some out there that know how radio waves work of course they, yeah they apply that yeah but it was just that it was they do they do <laughs> but that was just that was you know part of the people that they have they're they're cut off from the rest yeah. of the world and that's how they live and they're and some of them are really nice people a, major, yeah. a vast majority we're in vast, a very rural part yeah. of afghanistan yeah the very vast yeah. majority of them were really nice people but that area we were in nowzad has some history well, when the mujahideen was there where they they just the Soviets just dropped fucking millions and hundred I don't yeah, know millions we had the mine millions of, yeah millions of those mines in our area yeah. yeah and and a couple of them actually got killed doing they that. did yeah yeah they these uh, people from the UN the these uh, well they were they're not from the UN they were like given some special designation special, by the UN gotcha. I mean, they were just okay. Afghans that took it upon themselves to you know a, a great risked their lives they had and, they were ballsy too dude yeah, all they would use they would is clear a, out the mines that were left over all they yeah. would use is a fucking bulldozer like a like well, a some would do that yeah. some would literally just like with a fucking well the rod just stick it in the dirt and pop yeah. the fucker up yeah, yeah. that's how yeah. jesus christ man you know considering they're, like how fucking resilient people yeah, yeah they are very uh almost as like you don't they're I respect the fuck out of them you know for for like you said their warrior mentality of like but you know, looking at what they've been through, you know, and, and how much of their kids have every, every day is a fucking fight for them. You know, every, yeah, you know, they've known a lot of hardship. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of them just want to be left to themselves, work yeah. their farms, yeah. take care of them, their yeah. families and raise them. Yeah. And, and I think for us was that seeing that, you know, cause it, it, I, I read a book, um, by a guy by the name of Anand Gopal, I think is, and he actually embedded with the Taliban. And, you know, I don't want to, I don't want this to be an opinion piece podcast. Sure. But for us, um, what he, he saw the towers fall. He was across the street, actually, when the towers fell in 9-11. Mm. And he decided to conduct journalism going to Afghanistan. And he would talk to guys that were special forces there. He would talk to all of these people. And Basically, to summarize, he came to the conclusion was that there was there was no long term plan, it seems, for Afghanistan. But and, I think that's very well yeah, known yeah. in the there news. Was, it's come out, yeah, that, and it just and it yeah. just and the 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 it's been a shit show. The extreme power vacuum that took place over these people, and again, these people that get caught in the middle between it. Yeah, you know, it was very very visceral seeing just the byproduct of what happens when there's no kind of like care taken to these people i mean we see it at our level you know like hey these people can go to the market every day and, and buy food yeah but you know the long the the longer ramifications of yeah. where we were and what we were doing while we were there you know yeah it's completely so, redefined their way yeah. of life their culture so what were some of the uh, what was it like a day-to-day for you when you were when you were uh, I know we got we got um, Actually, yeah yeah I, I'm, I'm gonna have this have some time to prepare for the call unfortunately okay um is there another well, way we can finish this up or? Uh, yeah.